Good day in a Glargay, it's Adam Bibolo, the master of the Bibolotech here, and we've got a special gift for everyone today to say thank you for all the amazing support, love and feedback you gave us throughout Season 3. This is our special book report of The Rock Says, the autobiography by Dwayne The Rock Johnson published in 1999. We originally released this special two-part book report exclusively on Patreon in January of last year, and we decided we'd edit it into one mega episode and release it for everyone to enjoy. If this is your first time listening to one of our book reports, you can go back on the podcast feed and you'll find that we did release for free our Journey Into Darkness book report, where we look at the kayfabe biography of one Glenn Kane. But if you go to patreon.com forward slash podcast, you can also find many other book reports we've worked our way through, such as The Hardcore Truth by Bob Holly, another two-parter there. Wake Up, It's Feeding Time by The Big Guy Ryback. That was only a one-parter, but it felt like the longest recording session of my life. And Exist to Inspire by The Hardy Boys, which is actually shaping up to be a three-parter at this rate. All these book reports are available instantly along with over 40 hours of Smackdown Crawl and over three hours of video episodes for only a $5 pledge. All of the audio episodes can be downloaded on any device, mobile and PC, and there is no obligation to stay subscribed so you can pledge once, get all this lovely content, and then cancel at any time. Thanks again for all your support, and you can look forward to hearing from us soon with the outcome of our second ever Boys Picks before we dive into Season 4. But for now, enjoy this masterpiece of the literary arts, The Rock Says. Smell what the rock is cooking. Ha! Ahoy there! It's time for a book report. Librarian Kevin Mann here, alongside, as always, my intrepid reviewer of wrestling literature, the one and only Adam Bibolo. Hello, Adam. Hello, Kevin. You got a hot steaming pile of fucking garbage for me today, have you? Yeah. We're going to be looking at The Rock Says, written by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And- <laughs> yeah, right. The Rock, written by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Joe sure. Layden. Sure. Joe Layden is the real author here. Is he? So he's been The Rock all along? Yeah, he's the real Rock if you want to get down to it. Like, Oh man, that's crazy to think. So much like we did with the Kane one, we're going to be looking at the first half of the book today because there is a lot to get through here and I've got a lot to say about this one as you all know. So I imagine even reading half of this book was a taxing, traumatic experience in of itself. You have no idea, Kevin. So we're going to be looking at The Rock Says, written by Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Joe Layden from the year 2000. This is an interesting one because I remember picking this book up very mm-hmm. quickly as a kid. I was wondering if this was one, obviously you hadn't read it before now, is this one you were aware of when you were a youngin? Because this came out of the, the height of wrestling fandom of the 2000s. I have read this, Kevin. I read this when I was a kid. I um, What? I bought this when I was like, would have been about 10, maybe 9 or 10 when it came out, I guess. So um, this was a revisiting well, I say I read it as a kid. I, I sort of looked at the pictures. And <laughs> I, I remember reading, like, I would skip straight to the part where he's a wrestler and read those bits and be like, oh, yeah, wrestling. But honestly, I didn't know what the full book was all about until this reading. Because over in America, you probably, you know, America is a lot of, you know, big problems, social problems. When you're growing up in the 90s and the 2000s, you know, smoking not drinking enough milk, mm-hmm. teen alcoholism, mm-hmm. which even goes on until you're 20, if you can imagine that. That's how teen alcoholism, that's how bad it is over there. But over in Ireland, it was a little bit, you know, less less on the nose. Like, we had a wooden skeleton man telling us to drink our milk so we wouldn't turn <laughs> into a wooden man. That was obvious. It's but a scary country. <laughs> it's a scary country. But you'd have those advisors as well, which it'd be the allure, the biggest allure for, for nerdy children of my age, 
which is the colour photos in the middle of the oh, book. Oh, yes. There's always the glossy Ooh, print yes, there. Please. That's your juicy reward for buying a book with so many words. There they are there. The colour photos in the middle in their grey trench coat. Come over here. What's that? Don't read the rest of this book. Check this out. Whoa! <laughs> glossy laminate pictures of the person who's written the book. No way. Growing up! <laughs> I didn't even know I could get pictures on demand like this in 1999. So I understand that allure because... When I first got Mick Foley's book, boom, colour photos in the middle. Straight there. Straight to him. Where's the fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin here? I don't want to know about puberty or growing up or mom's spaghetti on the block. I don't care about any of that stuff. So, I mean, in essence, you could say this is the first true reading with proper adult eyes, would you say? Yes, definitely. I truly understand the book now, whereas I did not before. Just a little bit of background for you. Joe Layden, the, uh, the obvious author of this work. He's a sports journalist who's written books about the NBA, WNBA, baseball, etc. But he's also helped write a lot of biographies in his career, one of which was with Steve Parrish, who is obviously, you know, Steve Parrish, right? The, uh, the roadie that was on tour with the Grateful Dead for many years. Oh, I thought you meant, as in, like, of Parrish Town Hall fame, like, but... Like Alan Parrish from Jumanji. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, that famous roadie, he helped write his biography. Mickey Ward, the boxer. Dave Mustaine. Mickey Ward. Mickey Ward, yeah, he's a boxer. Dave Mustaine from Metallica and Megadeth. And he even helped share the load with Sean Astin's autobiography after he'd finished Lord of the Rings. Isn't that Sean Astin's autobiography entitled, Needless to Say, I Had the Last Laugh? (laughs) It's actually entitled there and back again even though that's a different hobbit (laughs) alright I thought it would be entitled I'm with my family you're not gonna get a fucking autograph fuck off parasites he's a dickhead is he all the kids who watch Lord of the Rings are SOBs (laughs) by Sean Astin (laughs) so I read you the synopsis for the Kane book I am not gonna do that with this because it's about eight paragraphs long and it basically spoils the entirety of the story for you so in the writing process of this, and I want your honest interpretation as having recently read this book, do you think it was the case that The Rock was down there with the dictaphone, telling the stories, laying down the people's story? Or was it a case that whoever intern's job it was gave him a bullet point list of, look, here are the main beats of The Rock's career. He's an all-American boy. He wants you to say this, this, and this. Go, go ghostwrite a book in this haunted house. It's really tough to say, because a lot of it I can actually imagine, not 2000 Rock saying, but weird 2011 Dwayne saying some of the stuff that's Mm. in this book. Like, I can imagine a lot of it coming straight from his mouth, but at the same time, a lot of it does feel like, ah, but if you just watch, like, a few hours of Rock promos and pick up on his, you know, his verbiage and what words he likes... You could probably have a half-decent attempt at doing it yourself. What was always interesting for me was that while they made a push on TV, I mean, this is what instigated this. We're watching, you know, SmackDown for SmackDown Crawl. We forgot this book existed. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. And, like, it's, you know, there was a lot of stuff about Foley's book coming out. Foley did promos and, you know, you could even go as far as to argue it was a big part of the show because it was part of the storyline. Yeah, it was a focus. In the trash and all that. When The Rock's book came out on the SmackDown timeline, though, it was very much a, hey, The Rock's got a book out too, Jabrodies. Buy it yeah. now. And like, can you believe it? The Rock's on the New York Times bestseller list as well. Guess Mick Foley's not so special, huh? Mm. But The Rock never said word one about this book. No. Yeah, do you reckon he was distancing himself from it because he knew that he had very little involvement in it? Or do you reckon he just didn't care about promoting a book when he's a wrestler? Like- do you think it stuck in Mick Foley's craw? I think so, yeah, because the fact that, obviously, Mick's biggest accomplishment with the book is being a New York Times bestseller, but he did that whilst also the book was, like, getting, you know, praise heaped upon Mm. it. It was like, not only is it a good book about wrestling, it is a good book in its own right, 
The Rock's book is a New York Times bestseller. But so it's, is Eric Bischoff's book. Yeah, it's, it's not a good book about wrestling and it's not a good book in its own right. So I'd be pissed off if I was Mick, to be honest with you. I guess the only thing to bear in mind, maybe why there wouldn't be bad blood, is the books that were coming out, they signed a three-book deal. It was going to be Austin had a book, Rock had a book, and Foley had a book. Mm. And they wanted to test the waters with Foley's book and see, look, we don't want to go all guns blazing with a big star like The Rock or Austin. Yeah, in case it backfires. And Foley had the bad meeting with his ghostwriter, so Foley ended up writing it himself and it taking a bit longer. So this was already fucking signed, sealed, probably the weekend it took Mr. Layden to write this. <laughs> you know, it was probably well done ages ago. So yeah. I guess it wasn't like in response to Mick Foley, this was happening anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's just it's a shame that this came second when the the only really 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 great wrestling autobiography came out first. So why don't we sink our teeth into this, Adam? Okay, let's delve in. First of all, because this That's tells a you big book. It's a big old hardback book. Give us a knock on the mic for that. Big book. That hang on, let's close it. Weighty. Big book rolling down the line. So you think straight away, book this big. This is much bigger than Mick's book. Like it's not as thick, but it's much wider and deep and it's taller. heavier. <laughs> yeah. So you'd think, oh, there's gonna be a hefty amount of words in here. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. It's just the lead-lined color photos in the middle really weigh this book down. It's a very jazzy cover there. A very jazzy second page and third and fourth and fifth page. There is a lot. I'll say this right now. Every, just about every page in this book is ruined with electricity tribal tattoos general garbage just badly manipulated photos it looks like Goldberg and a book have been merged into one and like he's just peeking up on every page with shitty tribal tattoos and pictures of sports <laughs> it really does look like Goldberg Goldberg actually. like yeah. there, was a, there was a couple of times though when I was sat reading this like while Alex was playing on the switch or doing something fun in the meantime <laughs> I was sat there like grumbling and then she'd look over and be like what the fuck are you complaining about because most of these pages are just taken up by graphics and photos like there is a lot of pages in here that don't even have any writing on them whatsoever here so. mate right before you go start whinging that means more time for you know hanging out with your mates and eating pizza pie and playing video games yeah mom I've read a whole chapter does she know it's all pictures of electricity? So it's only a paragraph thanking his mom was actually all I read. Well, there's 17 chapters in this book. Okay. I'll tell you, the first three chapters I read over a fortnight. The remaining 14 I read this weekend. <laughs> I, 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 me and you were talking last week, and it was getting very clear that there, without, wasn't, enough time. there wasn't any progress happening on the reading. <laughs> like, and I knew that I had to give myself a deadline, otherwise I was never going to read this book. So rather than, you know, wrapping Christmas presents or like, seeing in festive cheer, I spent my entire weekend stomaching this. So if you don't think for a second that Adam Bibolo suffers for his Patreon money, well, you're, you're obviously wrong. <laughs> Very nearly ruined my Christmas. In the classical sense of the word, he is suffering for his art. <laughs> so like any good book, it starts off with a table of contents. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to run down these chapters here so you get a good taste of what's coming up ahead. Now, is The Rock's kind of vibe felt throughout, like, boring stuff like the contents, like, The Rock says chapter one, what's chapter two? It doesn't matter what chapter two is. No, and that's one of my biggest gripes of this book is, and this is definitely one of the parts where you can tell it was a ghostwriter handling it, when The Rock's catchphrases come in here and there, it's done with such, like, lack of joy it's just literally oh we haven't had a catchphrase for a while but uh, if you smell what the rock's cooking that is like just throw it in there in the middle of a sentence sweet cream on an ice cream sandwich what the hell is this book doing okay so chapter one royal rumbler chapter two 
The People's Puberty. Chapter 3, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Chapter 4, Like a Hurricane. Chapter 5, Cupid, Draw Back Your Bow. Sorry, this would be great if these were all just um, things on uh, Broken Skull Challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 2, People's Puberty. (laughs) O Little Town of Bethlehem. Oh, hell yeah. Cupid, Draw Back Your Bow. Chapter 6, Family Matters. Chapter 7, Rock Bottom. There we go, finally got a bit more rockness. Oh, Family Matters, because that could be like Family Matters, but also... The Rock says that family matters. Yep, that's very good. There's double meaning there. Chapter 8, The Making of a Professional Wrestler. Chapter 9, Flex Cavana. Chapter Baby. 10, Rocky Maivia. Chapter 11, People's Champion. Chapter 12, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Chapter 13, Know Your Role. Chapter 14, The Rock Says. <laughs> Chapter 15, The Rock. <laughs> Chapter 15, WrestleMania. Chapter 16, Owen. There's literally like, we've got a crowbar a chapter about Owen in there right before the end of the book. Chapter 17, Gotta Wear Shades. Right, that fucking, the own chapter clearly was put in in response to Foley's heartfelt own chapter yeah, in his book. it's like post-haste, quickly shove it in the end there. Like The Rock remembers being in the Nation of Domination with Owen Hart. Oh. We were brothers. <laughs> Trying to destroy the system. <laughs> now, just from a quick glance at that, Adam... I would assume, disappointingly, and I can imagine this would be most kids thumbing to the end of this book, over half of this is not wrestling. Yeah. And I would say around two-thirds of this is not The Rock. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, I remember as a kid, this is where I found out that Rocky Maivia was a thing. Yeah, same. This is where I found out his name was Dwayne Johnson. And I remember being so... Like, I remember as a kid actually being angry and upset that, like, one of my favourite wrestlers, the coolest guy, had the name Dwayne. Like. Right, this is how bad it was for me. It was because when Foley called Rock Dwayne in that backstage promo, I was like, oh, God, no, that's not really his name. He's taking like, the piss. Like. I, I had a teddy bear I would play with as a kid that was, like, the loser nerd teddy bear. No. Then was like, oh, Dwayne, you fucked it up. You fucked up the tea party, Dwayne. Dwayne, you <laughs> fucked up the buffet. You <laughs> fucked up the recital dinner, Dwayne. And the Dwayne Johnson? Yeah. As in Dwayne Willie, like <laughs> Dwayne Mickey, you know, <laughs> Dwayne Trouser Snake. No thanks. So. Also, as well, the first three chapters, are you going to have like a real, like, you're going to really paint a picture? It took two weeks, like, really mulled over, <laughs> really in depth. The and last of it just garbled. 14. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's much like Journey into Darkness, where we spend an awful long time being like, when are we going to get to the wrestling factory? And then when you finally get there, it's like, oh. I like what Richard and Judy in Oprah's book club, it's like, you've read the book, now read along with us. And this one, genuinely, with the Journey into Darkness, it's like, have the book, have it on the table, but don't don't read it just yet because we may say things that may make you really not want to read it (laughs) or regret it so hold out judgment yeah as part of this very strange book club see what we have to say and then you decide for yourself if you want to read this book or not how much you get it for anyway Uh, this I think it was £1.81 off Amazon alright I think and that's the big hardback yeah not quite in the 1p club yes sadly not no there's a bit more name value attached to Dwayne Johnson you see whereas Mick Foley literally Three for one pound in a bookseller's in Horncastle. Three copies for a pound. Yeah. Jesus. Hardback copies. Jesus. Yeah. He's got a garage full of them. Like. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> so, 
We naturally start off with The Rock aged eight, of course. I thought it'd be like in the people's womb. (laughs) (laughs) Now, and this is the first problem with our book is the jumping back and forth of the narrative. There's no, I guess it's meant to be some sort of like, oh, it's painting a picture in a sort of a non-conventional way because first we're going to go here and then we're going to go back a few years and we're going to go here again. But it's just garbled. It's just nonsense. I think all sports ghost-written autobiographies have to start with being a kid flash forwarding to being famous oh yeah and then being like man i can't believe i was a fucking kid and the kid being like man i can't believe i'm going to be famous i should say the prologue there is a prologue i glossed over there which is literally just march 28th 1999 the rock and steve austin steve austin and the rock it's just him hyping up his wrestlemania match like and then you cut back to eight years old whip, whip. this is where it all began before you lost that match remember me like you fucking oh. lost you big fucking loser yeah that, I will say that match is the climax of the book like, come on I mean, who's fucking like oh hi I'm I'm you know the head of the fucking Dallas ding dongs and I fucking <laughs> lost the big game like unless it's meant to be a motivational story about overcoming loss <laughs> okay okay no beating around the bush anymore let's, here we go let's get into the let's book let's do it so we've got eight year old Rocky starts off with the Johnson family moving to Hawaii Rock loves his mom he's very quick to put that over straight away like he respects his dad a lot but he puts over the love that he has for his mom that's, that's one weird thing I know it's one thing I will say about The Rock is I've always got a very genuine feeling about that with The Rock like for all of his weirdness and his ups and downs with who he is I do get the feeling that he is a really good mama's boy at home. Oh, yeah, because like, every time, time he sees me, he's, he's told her, oh, mama, he'll come yeah. over and he'll give her a hug, give her a, a hug. Car, yeah. Like, yeah, all Absolutely. the time. So he loves his mom. Um, we learned the very brief potted history of the Myvias and the Johnsons. Do you know anything about this? I know that the Myvias ran the territory in Hawaii uh-huh. and Soul Man Rocky Johnson, who found eventual fame in the WWF, he was a bit of a journeyman before that, and I think he did go down to Hawaii and he met That's right. Peter Maivia's... He was set to tag with yeah. Peter, and so Peter was like, I'll just come stay around my place. He went around well, there. Let's go marry my daughter. It... <laughs> the way this book goes, mate, is basically... <laughs> In the old days, it was easy to get married like that, you know. So the, the Maivia's and the Johnsons meet. That's covered in the first three pages or so. Flash backwards to The Rock's birth. So we get a little cover of that now, and we get. A, it's amazing he remembered it. Like you get a really nice example here of one of my big issues with the book. This sentence here, we're talking about how Rocky Johnson got into the business. Now mm. we're talking a little overview of Rocky Johnson. I can only imagine with Rocky Johnson, it ain't a fucking nice time to get into because he came up in like the seventies. Oh no, yeah, we'll get into this in a bit more mm. detail. I've got some nice things to say about him. This is one of the only good chapters I actually found genuinely interesting in the book, mm. but. Still, it sums up really well by this sentence because Rocky Johnson has just been offered, you know, the chance to try out and be a wrestler and, you know, he gets approached by a wrestling promoter. At first, Rocky wasn't interested, but soon he changed his mind. He began training. So, like, this is the kind wow. of thing that happens a lot in the book, like, where um, the Mayavias, they don't want Rocky dating their daughter, then they change their mind. She's not interested in dating Rocky Johnson, but he's a charmer, then she changes her mind. Like, there's so much where it's just like, oh, there was a big conflict, but then, you know, it went away. <laughs> Honestly, that is all throughout this book. Just like in real life. Yeah. And- oh, no, The Rock doesn't want him to know about that argument. No, 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 don't don't talk about the time that The Rock's father said he wouldn't talk to him ever again. Like, you know, it's obvious, because I've heard rumblings, and on it, I'm telling you, I know nothing concrete, but I've heard rumblings that Rocky Johnson was fucking hard on that boy. Yep. 
Oh yeah, very like he did not want him to become a wrestler, and he, you know, he was harsh on him growing up. You get that impression just by how badly glossed over it is in this Mm. book, like very poor. But yeah, we learn a lot about Rocky Johnson. So he was a groundbreaker as a a black athlete who got really over in the sixties and seventies. But not just over, but was also very well booked. Like, Him and um, Tony Atlas were the first ever African-American tag champions. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah they cover that in the book. And uh, one of the things I didn't know about, but he was apparently always very insistent on being an intelligent character in his promos. Mm. Apparently at the time, there was just like nothing but jive talking, like soul bro kind of characters. Or deepest, darkest Africa, Kamala kind, type of even things. Even worse, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was always insistent that his character had to be well-spoken, intelligent, articulated, mm. right? And... Because of that, that's one of the reasons why he was so popular and so yeah. groundbreaking at the time. So Rock puts his dad over really strong, and it's made me really want to go and look up some Rocky Johnson when I'm done with all this, because he sounds like a pretty amazing wrestler. Bit of a trailblazer. Yeah. Uh, Rock was very protective of the business, being brought up with his family. Like Everyone was very protective of it, and Rock would get into fights at school with some kids over it. He says that he intentionally gave a kid a very unsafe pile driver just to hammer home how important it is to him. No, he didn't. Nah, of course no, he didn't. you fucking didn't. And there is going to be a lot of stories in this book where it's a like, pile driver. Yeah, on a child, and an unsafe pile driver. It's like, needless to say, he was luckily he was okay. But you know, if the Rock wanted to end that guy's life right there, he could have done that. Sorry, I remember you said several times before. There's one person who wants to give you a pile driver. It'd be Jerry Lawler, like, yeah, because it isn't a toy. Like, other there an unsafe pile driver, mate. Pile drivers are unsafe. Yeah, <laughs> full stop. And I want the billowy thigh of Jerry Lawler to cushion the blow <laughs> not no fucking seven year old kid like kill someone like so we're gonna fast forward now we gloss over a load of The Rock's childhood to get straight to the people's puberty one of the first things he discussed straight away here is how cool he was <laughs> no 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 no. even cooler than that mate to quote Fraser Crane let's talk about sex what Rock loses his virginity age 14 with an 18 year old babe Awesome! I've always wanted to use my virginity to a paedophile. This is the only part of the book that I think is meant to be a laugh line that actually evoked a laugh from me. So, after our relationship had progressed to a certain point and consummation had become something to seriously consider... Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I took the lead in negotiations. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean to sound like a complete asshole about this. I really cared about Maria. We had a long and terrific relationship. All the same, I was a 14-year-old boy who was primarily concerned with getting over for the first time. Wow. Getting over. Getting over. Getting over. Getting over. So he, he fucks a girl in a car, a cop finds him, and he's like, fireworks. And is the cop like, excuse me, you're a paedophile. That is a 14-year-old and you're 18. No, the cop's more like, nice. You're going to grow up to be the most electrifying man on the planet, young man. And all it took was the touch of a paedophile. So, as you rightfully guessed, Kevin, oh man, what a fucking great story this is. Such an underdog tale. So, did he said like the relationship went on for many years? Not years, it was long and terrific. This, honestly... Well, every- into him being like two years to be not against the law. All I'll say is, every time Rock has a relationship with a girl in this book, it's always, it was a great relationship. We cared very much about each other. We ended on good terms. Like, it's always... Tony Soprano buying the gold pin, like, you know, 14 years old, The Rock says thank you for uh, being a paedophile, and uh, (laughs) The Rock wants to thank you for that. So, as you rightfully guessed, Kevin, you know, adding to the fact that this is a great underdog story about someone that struggled through it all, 
Rock was incredibly good looking. He was incredibly charismatic. <laughs> How did he overcome all this adversity, Adam? The girls wanted to fuck him. The boys wanted to fight him. He loved to fight. The Rock was just a hell of a teenager. And <laughs> no more is this evidenced than the point where there's a kid that wants to fight The Rock after school. And The Rock's like, well, of course I'll fight a kid. Look at the size of me. I'm tough. So he shows up to the park. The kid isn't there. The Rock's like, ah, fucking jabroni. I knew he wouldn't show. The kid shows up, though, with 25 friends. And Looks like we got a bit of a royal rumble on our hands here, Adam. He says they tried to Pearl Harbor the Rock. <laughs> that's the old wrestling terminology covered in there. Like 25 you know? people beat you up at the same time, is it? Yeah, that's what it was. It was a sneak attack. Like, Japan outnumbered America. Well, they kick his ass, but he stands up to all of them like the rock that he is. He makes and a valiant effort. He invented the Royal Rumble concept at the same time. <laughs> like, in the park, Pat Patterson is there, like, with a newspaper, with eye holes, like, wait until Vince hears about this is... <laughs> So Rock goes home, he tells his dad all about it, and then a few weeks later, Rocky Johnson comes along, and he cuts a big old promo on all of the kids, and they're all... I like that they all, like, what's the RSVP, like, send out a fucking... I think they were all just hanging out smoking, like, and Rocky Johnson turns up in the car. He sent out, like, a text blast or something like that, like, you know. But not only does he cut a promo on all of them, but he's like, hey, you want to fight my son? That's fine, go ahead. Fight him right now. Fight him in front of me. And all the kids are like, I don't want to fight him anymore. So needless to say, The Rock had the last laugh. And I will say, fucking every anecdote in this book will eventually weasel its way around to The Rock having the last laugh. So this is the people's puberty. Now, at the start of this chapter, he's there looking like a bit awkward, like a bit of a geek Mm. in a bit of a geeky suit. And like he's always brings up that picture of him in his geeky suit. He's like, oh, The Rock looking like Michael Jackson. You know, he's always big on making fun of how he used to look, The Rock, these days. Looking like a bit of a, a dink. Yeah. But this sounds like the most kick-ass puberty ever. Absolutely. What well, I would have paid for this puberty, man. I mean, he's, he's, he's there. He's, he's got all the ladies beating up dozens of children yep. at once. Doing pile drivers. Famous dad showing up like, you want to fuck my boy? You fuck my boy. And, like, like, and is he in trouble with his dad? Or is his dad like, all right, now you've beaten them all up. Now we go and gonna fucking sass them up. Like, you're going to cut a promo. Bring some money into the town next week. Like, oh, yeah. His dad's totally cool with all of this. Like. Loved by all. I mean... Foley and Jericho in their books are very forthright. Brutally honest about Bru- how- Jericho in particular. I mean, Jericho like writes in his... He like, lost his virginity when he was like 20 or 21 or something. Very brave to admit. And he like- writes this big long thing about like, you know, like, he had sex it lasted like, literally a second. <laughs> and the girl like started laughing and like patted him on the shoulder and all this stuff. And like, he, like what a loser he was. Yeah. But like he's totally forthright about it. I mean, everyone... Like Jericho's book and Foley's book, they're, you know... They're writing, drawing pictures of themselves as wrestlers. Yeah. You know, Foley's always daydreaming, making his little videos. Jericho, like, drew him and Owen Hart as tag team champions and all this stuff. That's the wrestling fan experience growing up. You relate to that. Not with The Rock. This is, like, for The Rock, he's always trying to make himself relatable. Mm -hmm. And this is so, like... Unrelatable. If you were 10... Like I was, I read this, he'd be like, oh, awesome, I can't wait for fucking puberty. Yeah. (laughs) You're like 14, like, the fuck is this shit like? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, yeah, his puberty basically went really smooth. He was cool, he was good looking, he was athletic, and he had everything he wanted. That is the chapter on puberty. By the book. Yeah, by the book. 
there was nothing, by the way, about him, like, dreaming of being a wrestler or anything. It was sort of, all we hint at is, like, The Rock knew that he would be a wrestler somewhere down the line. It was just going to be in his blood. It was just a matter of when, you know. Mm, interesting. So, we move on. His family moves around a bit. He gets invited. Oh, my fucking God, this bit. He gets invited to try out for the high school wrestling team. And I'm like, right, here we go. This is going to ignite it. This is where it's going to be like, and The Rock realised he had a passion for No, 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 no. He goes in there and he's like, what's this shit? Amateur wrestling. Uh, the Rock had heard of amateur wrestling. He knew what it was about, but he'd never really been part of it before. There isn't even any pyro. So he goes in for the first practice ever. He shows up. And because he's a big guy, he's bigger than most boys. He's quite huge for his age. He's not like most boys. They put him up against the biggest and the best wrestler. He's the captain of the wrestling team. And they're like, like oh, see, so you're Dwayne Johnson, are you? You look pretty tough. You're the kid of that Rocky Johnson guy, yeah? B25 kids. Why don't you try and fight me? And you won't believe it, Kevin. The Rock beats the crap out of the best really? wrestler. Really? Handily. Without even needing to try. Without any training. Without nothing. He beats him straight away. So it's almost as if like amateur wrestling is like a waste of time. Well, you'd think that. But the Rock, what The Rock has to say is that, yeah, it's boring. And he took one look at it at that session. And he thought, oh, this isn't for me. And he never went back. So he went in, he pinned their champion, and then he left straight away. It's so funny because in the late 90s and early 2000s, before MMA kicked off, Mm. there was such a a shitty perception of wrestling. They worked that to Kurt Angle's advantage. Mm. Like, it's kind of like, oh, it's it's not real wrestling. So a bunch of lads hugging each other, rolling around. It's boring. So even any pyro, like, for fuck's sake. You don't need any tits in it, like, you know. Yeah. And it's so funny, if you ask The Rock now, I bet he would not for a second. First of all, that story is totally made up. Absolute bollocks. But he would have been like, oh, The Rock loves the amateur wrestling. You know, The the Rock loves all... That's where Dwayne Johnson became The Rock. The the Gracie family, one of the greatest families. I like to brunch with them. (laughs) So wrestling does nothing for him. Boring. He wants to get into football. That's where the real money is. Now, because of his size, because he's huge for his age and he works out a lot, naturally everyone accuses him of being on the gas. Everyone thinks he's on steroids. Oh, no, 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 It's not like that. The rock's all clean, apart from he does admit to taking steroids at one point in his life. What? He managed to get hold of oral steroids that you take in tablet form, and he took them regularly for three weeks. He didn't see any improvement, and he thought, this isn't for me. The rock is never going to do steroids again. You know what? Every single time I have read in a book, always a wrestler's book, where it's like, yeah, obviously there were a lot of steroids. And I did them, but not, like, proper. No, I, I tried them and they didn't work. So if someone has said, have I denied using steroids, let the record show that I have not. <laughs> but I only did them a little. Not like the other guys, but the guys in their books who also said that they tried them for a bit, but they didn't see any improvement, so they didn't do them. Yeah. Basically, if you put all the wrestling books in the world together, the only people who did steroids for more than a week and didn't notice any improvement or it made them sick or made their dick feel weird mm. is the ultimate warrior. <laughs> it's literally the one man. Might be time to reopen the case for the old steroid scandal. Then, I'm just saying, you know. Bring all these biographies in as new evidence. But... <laughs> So, he does a little bit of steroids, he gives up. Wouldn't you know it, he's a stud. All the colleges want him to do football there. It's basically like he did steroids and realised he didn't need to because he was already such a hunk. Yeah, he was already jacked, baby. Easy peasy. So, he decides to go to the University of Miami and 
so basically like again more bullshit every university he goes to they're offering him the world they're like yeah you'll have this we'll buy you a car we'll give you your own card you can spend money basically you've got your scholarship show up to these practices here's our facilities full ride type of thing yeah we, we would love you to be here he goes to the university of miami and it's just like some old coach and he's just like oh, we can't give you any money or anything kid like we've got nothing to offer you but you stick with me and i'll give you an honest training and we'll we will get you to the championships so the Rock is saying that he had all these offers from, and I assume they're all top tier. Yeah, kind of, all know. these big glamorous offers, all the money, all the fame, all the chicks. So The Rock made the mistake, though, of going to the only one where he wouldn't get money and a car. Uh, you might look at that as a mistake, Kevin, but I think that's Dwayne just being a great guy who doesn't need anything like And rolling that. with the punches. Yeah. You know, that's what he's all about. Of course, he does end up absolutely broke and living on a shitty mattress, so, you know, it's just probably like, came back to haunt you, didn't it, Dwayne? Well, like, that doesn't work. How does it, like, he has have this cake and eating in here. He's like, oh, all these offers, I was obviously great, but I just came across adversity just cause the story is yeah blatantly the whole story is The Rock lived a life of privilege and as great as he is he's an amazing wrestler not taking any of that away from him wasn't good enough but he only got there because of the opportunities that were afforded him like by having the family by knowing the people he knew so he has to try and make up this fucking fake adversity by like being like oh yeah The Rock took the hard road by choosing the university that had the least to offer and all this shit whereas the reality was was that he probably didn't get that he got probably better off from shitty universities wanted to go to Miami and they're like we're not giving you money and he was like okay that's alright anyway yeah he just he's phrased it completely differently but he, he goes on so much about that whole adversity thing about like how the football thing how he was overlooked and you know how he wasn't good enough and he he sucked yeah obviously didn't think that at this point in time not at this point come <laughs> to terms with it yeah like so right before he goes to university he dates two girls at the same time whoa only the rock could do that and it blows up in his face all of these fucking stories suck man like that is like two pages long rock was dating a girl then the rock started dating another girl then it all blew up in the rock's face then the rock was dating no girls it's like, kind of like rubbish the rock I live in such a fast paced lifestyle that there was just happened to be you know another girl that I was dating and uh, we left a lot of wacky adventures for the rock as opposed to the rock started dating this girl or the rock had a relationship with this girl and she was under the impression that we were dating and I didn't care about her feelings so I just started fucking having sex with someone else yep. who also thought I was in a relationship but I didn't want to commit to anything because the rock was a piece of shit and didn't want to communicate at the time yeah of course the way he words it in the book is like how he didn't mean for it to come along this way it was all you know didn't want to hurt anybody he had really strong feelings he the, loved the both rock of them. did not want to hurt anybody the rock just wanted to have sex with two different women without any consequences <laughs> the rock did not want to have to commit because that was too much emotion for the rock so this is the point now where i sort of slowed down dramatically with my reading of the book because we're in the football chapters baby <laughs> At least in Journey into Darkness, it was fictional and it, you know, it had a bit more intrigue with Kane's sort of horrible life. This is a, a story of a guy who wants to get into football and he's got a great life. Like, <laughs> it's fucking rubbish. <laughs> so, in his freshman year, he gets to play on the college roster, which is apparently a really good thing. Yeah. Apparently, that's not okay. heard of. The training regimen is really hard work. He gets a separated shoulder injury, which he you know, has to take surgery for it, and it puts him on the shelf for a year. I've got a nice little out-of-context paragraph for you here. I'm not going to tell you what this is about. I just want you to know this paragraph does exist. The next thing I knew, my hands were wrapped around her throat, squeezing the oxygen out of her tiny body. 
As she began to turn blue, I could hear people screaming. I could feel them pouring at me, telling me to stop, but I was enraged. Apologise to my father, I said. Dwayne Rock Johnson there, strangling a woman to get her to apologise to his dad. What did she do? She was a friend of the family that apparently they were at a party and she was talking to Rocky Johnson and she said, fuck you. Like, apparently just a joke. They were just having a laugh. And immediately Dwayne comes bounding over and starts strangling her. Strangling her? Yeah, strangling her. And there's all these people like trying to get him to stop. And he's just like, apologize! The Rock was the best strangler in the business at the time. So what... What? Yeah, he chose to put that story in there. So did she, like, forgive him? Or is there any... Did he go to prison? <laughs> like he's going to write about it. It's, it's another one of these stories, Kevin. It's something happened and then that's it. Needless just, to say. This book is just things happening. There's no, like, threads being weaved into anything. It's just things happen in order. It's... Oof. Okay, come on, college football. So we've got more stuff going on oh here. Oh my god, turning blue! Yep. So he's on the shelf for a year. He becomes a miserable jabroni and a jerk to everyone. His grades are terrible. Is that when he starts strangling people? <laughs> the Rock decided to liven things up. I'd become the Miami Strangler. <laughs> Twain the Strangler Johnson, like. So his grades are terrible. He's injured. He's being a dick to everyone. At the same time, his dad's career is starting to dwindle down because mm. he's getting on a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He started drinking. He's got no col- he's got no high school education, Rocky Johnson. So he's basically just sitting at home drinking all the time. And I guess this is the point in the book where it's going to be like the dark night of the soul. Like right, things, things couldn't look any worse for the Rock right you now. Either live long enough to see yourself become the heel, or you just start strangling everyone. I guess you know. <laughs> so. Leave that chapter there. Next chapter, keep and draw back your bow. This is the paragraph that opens this chapter, okay? Oh, no. Bear in mind, we've just had the Dark Knight of the Soul. Is this going to be about the weird fucking relationship he had with his wife? That's clearly really weird. When you're a freshman... Sorry, I'm going to try my best to do this in The Rock's voice if I can. Okay. When you're a freshman football player at the University of Miami or any other Division I school for that matter, you hear a lot about fringe benefits. Perks, if you will. You hear about easy courses taught by generous professors who happen to be big football fans. You hear about fat cat boosters stopping by the dorm and opening their checkbooks. What the fuck is a fat cat booster? You hear about easy access to drugs and especially, you hear about sex. Cheap and easy sex. Down and dirty style with hot and cold running groupies. Hot and cold. So he's miserable, he's injured, his dad's an alcoholic who hasn't got a job. But the sex. The people's sex. This chapter is all about sex, Kevin. So, is he fucking an immersion heater with his hot and cold? Oh, like, Jesus what's going on? Christ. Also, them as well. It's like, oh, fat cat boosters, drugs, fucking easy women, all this shit, easy courses. He so did all of that shit. Every single drop of it. I bet he was doing that shit. Well, you want to know about the next big made-up story in The Rock's book? Go on, then. So, in fact, I'm just going to read this directly from the book itself, actually. You can hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Well, Connor, sorry, Mr. Layden's mouth. We'd heard a lot about groupies and gang sex, but thus far had been... (laughs) Gang sex? Yeah, I don't know if that's like the bloods are getting involved and the crypts are going to come in. (laughs) We're going to have sex to settle our beast once more. Hey, guys, have you heard about gang sex? No. (laughs) Oh, it's it's much less violent than killing each other, trust me. (laughs) 
We'd heard a lot about groupies and gang sex, but thus far had been sadly deprived of any personal involvement in this sort of glorious depravity. Now, glorious. Glorious depravity. Glorious depravity sounds like the name of a finisher for like an emo wrestler. Now, in the middle of the second semester, we were finally getting close. I'm telling you, man, it's gonna happen tonight, I said to one of my buddies. The three of us with those six girls. Nine of us in one room doing freaky shit. So I like to imagine that The Rock's, like, two friends. He's got, like, a guy called, like, Nerdlinger or something. Hey, like, by my calculations, Rock, our probability of having copulation is 100%. Oh. God damn it, Nerdlinger, your calculations were wrong once again. And then there's, like, I don't know, like, a fat guy or something. And the whole thing ends up with, well, The Rock had to have sex with all six of those women that night. But no, what actually happens... Is, I mean, we get straight away... The girls are apparently sat in the next room. Like, the, the Rock's telling his mates in one room... And the girls are sat in another room. And apparently they were like... Yeah, we're cool. We're down with all this. Let's do it. So, they decide to start off the night in a club. Like, they're going to go out. They're going to have a few drinks, first of all. You know, get the evening off to a good start. Yeah, so you start your gang sex. Of course, yeah. I mean, when the fact is... Like, they've all agreed. They, they say as well, the girls show up with like a bag full of condoms. So, like, everyone's agreed. Money on the table... We're all just here to some easy, fun gang Sa- sex. Safe gang sex. Just do it. Just don't don't bother going out and getting drunk. Like they're acting like they need to go out on the pool for this big gang orgy they've already hooked up. Just everyone stay in. I think what he's trying to say is that you got to show a lady a good time, you know, or a guy. If you if you if you are the person who if you're the architect of gang sex, mm. you can't just go in there with your shopping bag full of condoms. Yeah, bring them. But yeah. you have to romance the situation. We go out for a few drinks first, you know? You can do that without leaving the house. A little pre-gang, a pre-gang soiree, you know? Just not how I would organise my gang sex, okay? <laughs> but they all go out for a night on the tiles, first of all. So they're all out drinking together, The Rock and his two buddies and these six women. But then, when The Rock's in this club, he makes eye contact with this woman. Danny, it turns out her name is. And it is like Thunderbolt from Heaven love at first sight instantly. <laughs> It's like the sound of like What the rock Is cooking And he looks at her And he knows He knows this is the woman He wants to spend The rest of his life with <laughs> You're wrong You're like You're wrong You're divorced so, so like You don't know shit He decides Instantly there and then He just turns to his two mates And he's like You guys go back to the room With these girls The rock doesn't want to sleep With six women tonight The rock's such a good guy He's gonna speak to this girl so, The Rock turned down six women mm-hmm. for one woman. No, I'm just saying, Rock. Because what he does is he doesn't hang out with Danny. He gets a phone number and then he goes home. So he gets a number, he goes home, and the other guys all go off to have sex. Just saying, get her number, go and have your sex. You're not in a relationship with these six girls or anything. It's clearly all been arranged in a casual I, sense. You so. are missing the main point of this, which is fundamentally... The Rock is a great guy. Yeah. But he could have had sex with six he women. He could have had all six by himself if he wanted to, I bet. It's kind of like he's almost like a movie star quality a protagonist. Like, he has the sex appeal, he has the class, and he has the um, he has the cool factor that he can do both at the same time. He can be romantic, but also, don't forget, he could totally have sex with six women if he chose to. Yeah. But this woman who he wanted to spend the rest of his, well, 10 years, 10, 10 years with, right? a dozen years, mm. you know. You know when you see something like, oh man. I could spend a dozen years or so I could spend you. a dozen years. And then we'll probably reassess things then. I'll kind of bounce yeah. on from there. You Might know? spend a while not having any partners or anything. Just focus <laughs> on me eating pancakes by myself all the time. Might have a kid, but I won't really be that invested in the whole process. 
So now we go from Rock bragging about all the casual sex he was having to Rock bragging about how great his relationship is with Danny. He goes home that night and he's just he can't stop thinking about it. So he phones her straight away and they talk for hours on the phone all night. And he says, from that night onwards, they talked every night on the phone ever since to this very day. Well, no, probably no, not no, to no, this no, very, very day. day. No, 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 probably not. So Danny's parents don't like him because he's young, he's broke, and he's a person of colour. So they're racist, apparently. Oh. Even though Danny's is all Danny's parents and Danny herself are also people of colour. That's it's, what I thought she it's was. To do with the Rock Samoan heritage, apparently. Really? Well, apparently, it could be the Rock making up more adversity again <laughs> to spice up the book a little bit. I'm not going to pass judgment, like. So but, wait, was he, was he like? When he was going out with Danny and being sweethearts, was he still, like, tearing up the town with his mates and having loads of sex? Because it seems like the way this was set up, this chapter, is like, oh, there was all this talk of all this indiscriminate sex. We weren't having any. Then the night where we were going to have some, I met my future partner and we talked together every night. So as Rock, like, pretty much saying that he didn't do any of the extracurricular activities, so to speak. He doesn't say he didn't. He doesn't say he does. because but he could have. Because, much like everything else in this book, things just happen. So it's like, The Rock meets Danny, and he establishes that after that, they love each other, they speak every day, they're in a relationship. That's it. That's it sorted, mate. You don't need to hear about, like, how it went. It's just, that's it. Just accept it. Interesting. So, next... His grades improve. That's the next thing that happens. This is, And this is, by the way, this is changing every two or three paragraphs. So it goes from being like, Danny's parents are intolerant. They don't like the rock. They're, hey, I'm getting good grades again now. Everything's back to normal. And I'm looking back on my time at university and everything was put chapters over. Like, that's it. But like, surely if the whole purpose to overcoming adversity is not just to state that you did it, it's like that I worked hard and that's why my grades are... This didn't suddenly just happen to improve. Like. Yeah. Well, no, he says he worked hard, but what the point is, it's like, it's a sentence. It's like, I worked hard, the grades got better. It's it's so often in this book, things just happen. This book is very inspirational. The Rock, there's like a sentence in there about like grades and shit if you're struggling at university. So, you know, read it, brother. <laughs> it might help, I guess. Yeah, it might help, yeah. Just buy it. So, continuing on, we hear more about The Rock's dad's struggles with alcoholism. Whoa, so his dad full-blown alcoholic, he's saying here. Yeah, he keeps going on about his dad falling back in, like, deeper and deeper into the bottle. And this is where you get hints at, like, he says very vague things about how his dad was hell to live with. He says he was abusive. He said he was never physically abusive, but he said he was emotionally abusive to The Rock and The Rock's mum. But again, it's very glossy. It's only a few sentences. I think they even split up his mum and his his dad. Yeah, I think they did. Pretty sure. I've heard various words that affect in the past as well that he was really fucking hard on him. Mm. And like... He what he didn't want him to be like he was all fucked up about like his son becoming a wrestler and all that. So <laughs> was he? Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't know it. Yeah, I, I read his book and I didn't know that. Mate. <laughs> so yeah, more college bullshit. You know, you get more of him struggling to get along with the other egos in the locker room. Another nice little out of context one for you, Kevin, especially for you, Kevin. Oh Jesus. I wanted to kill Kevin. No! I had him pinned to the floor, and as he struggled to escape, I tried to rip his tongue out of his head. I actually reached into his mouth with my hand, grabbed his tongue, and began pulling with all my strength. There is no way to justify this behaviour. No way to make it sound sane. 
don't don't include it then. Probably. I mention that. I mean, if you're going to have a really honest book about all the ups and downs of your teenage years and everything, yeah, include it. If you're going to have a really glossy "The Rock is Great" thing, paragraphs like this make you seem like Patrick Bateman or something. Like you've got these weird psychotic episodes where you strangle women and pull out tongues. Like <laughs> what the fuck? It's so unfitting with the rest of the book. It's amazing The Rock never you know drew on this for any of his heel personas like imagine if like he was like let me tell you the rock's gonna rip your tongue out of your mouth (laughs) (laughs) so one thing that is interesting is apparently the uh, football team they sort of Miami football team were really well known for trash talking they would always be shouting at their opponents and stuff and he and that's why they would historically rip the tongues of their opponents out (laughs) and the captain of the team would wear a necklace made out of the tongues of the biggest trash talkers in the (laughs) tri-state area but he attributes that fact to being a lot of where The Rock's personality came from later on, is being from the trash talking that he picked up at college. Yeah, I've heard this before where they were like, oh, The Rock was like, he was he was famous for it, he was known for it. The Rock was always talking trash. And they would show like one little grainy clip of footage where he'd be like, yeah, he'd like pointing to the sky. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this showman like? All smiles. like. Look at him point and dance. So Danny and Dwayne decide to move in together and Danny's parents essentially disown her. Again, another thing that happens. We won't hear any more on that until they get married now. Well, we can't hear anything more of that because he ripped their tongues out of their throats so they're like, just, you know. So just bear in mind as well, Danny's parents disown her right now. Do you know what the next development's going to be with that? They, they get married. And... They, get, they get married and Danny's parents get over it. So that's fine. Don't worry about that. People very um, casually disown people in this book, don't they? Very casually, and then very casually get over it as well. Like, oh, they just changed their minds. And you know what as well? I, I don't think the Rock is like putting... Rocket Fuel and accelerating this because he was debuted in WWE by the time he was like 20. Yeah. So this all happened within like a two year period. Yeah, very quickly. Fucking busy. So we get a huge bit here, which I'm not going to lie, I'll be completely honest with you, I didn't even read this bit properly. I skimmed through most of it. <laughs> Fuck's sake, because, Adam. No, well, come on, Kevin. There is a lot of just descriptions of football games, football scores. Oh, Reese goes through it. It's like just a lot of bollocks that doesn't mean anything to me Lane was like oh now's my time to shine I was writing football (laughs) games and then Rock can't seem to get drafted for love no money like he just doesn't seem to know no offers come through the weird thing is he doesn't so much say it's kind of they they get at the point that you know the Rock wasn't wanted by any of the big groups or anything but they never outright say he wasn't good enough it was just like the Rock was full of potential he was good looking he was talented he had lots of promise everyone was confident he was going to do well like he was you know quite high up on the list of like ones to keep an eye on but the offers just didn't come through Kevin funny that weird because that's changed that story over the years Mm. it used to be I was injured therefore I didn't get drafted Mm. then it was I had a history of injuries therefore I didn't get drafted and now it's like the rock sucked yeah (laughs) look at me eating all these birthday cake pancakes look at this wacky isn't it it's very evident in the last five years or so that The Rock realised that actually these faults and the bad things that have happened to you in the past make you more accessible. They make you more likeable. And it's like, he's only just clocked onto that. That's mm. where the whole sort of, is it seven books came from? Like, is it seven books he was kind of left with in his pocket? Yeah, that yeah, whole, yeah. That's not in the book, obviously. Really? Of course not. Again, no, that's, that's, that's a big brand point of seven dollars. That yeah. is totally like, he must have gone to like a seminar or something in 2010 where someone was like, and if you talk about past hardships and make it obvious that it was bad, 
and that you went through bad things, people will people will think your current success is even better. Because he has a team, Rock. Like this yeah. is all very meticulously planned. And I always wondered, you know, I think we touched on it. We did a. Uh, our least popular episode ever, Wake Up Call. <laughs> oh, no love for that. No love for that one. Um, but when we did that, we touched on it, which was, we grew up with The Rock, reading this book, knowing his backstory. And that wasn't the story. Mm. That hardship was, like, the hardship was, I wanted to become a wrestler, my dad didn't want to become a wrestler, I tried to become a footballer, and I failed at that, and that was it. But all this, like, seven books in my pocket, I was rubbish, always injured, I was hopeless. Mm -hmm. He's really pivoted on all of that. Yep. You know? And the the non-cynical part of me wants to go, oh, well, you know, it's different between looking back on your 20s when you're 23 compared to when you're 30. Yeah. Or 33, you know? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's easy to be cynical about it. Like, not so long ago, my uncle, who really struggles with mental health issues, shared on Facebook a, a little video of The Rock talking about depression. And it was the fucking The Seven Books yeah, story yeah. And about picking yourself up. And he shared it and he was like, this has improved my day. And yeah, he does genuinely inspire people. Oh, and he, absolutely. He's got a lot of good to spread. But it's just, it's when you read this, it's blatantly obvious that that narrative has only come in in the last few years. Mm. Like, he's definitely changed the way he looks at his past presidential run 2020 dreading it fucking dreading it yeah. mate 2024 I think it won't be 2020 but 2024 depending I'm on how so it goes scared. like it's fucking really frightening man he's clearly thinking about it yeah, yeah I know it started out as a joke and now it's getting really fucking iffy and like, you know what I wouldn't be surprised putting on my tinfoil hat if he hadn't been thinking about it as far back as 2008-2009 yeah. when he started putting out this kind of shit yeah. forward about himself you know, you can imagine that meeting. Rock people love you. You're charismatic. You're an A-list, but you're not relatable. It's and we only- need to make you relatable somehow. We got Donald Trump in the White House right now. The potential idea of Rock running for president in the future. And then the other day, I heard that Vince is looking at bringing back the XFL as well. <laughs> like, that, like everything is fucking topsy turvy these days. Like, so basically, a in a few years, as part of your Patreon backing, if we're fucking doing election coverage. <laughs> you know, like, the last word in the fucking primary is going to be uh, Kevin and Adam talking about the fucking wrestling line. You know? It'll come down to it. This will be an important document in six years, lads. <laughs> so we move into Canada now. We get, like, The Rock has moved. Ah, the uh, Canadian Football League. He's working for the CFL. Tedious fucking explanations. Again, this is blatantly where, what's his name, the ghostwriter. What's his fucking name? I've already forgotten. La- Laden. Laden, yeah. This is the part where he's like, my time to shine because I'm going to spend a nice three pages explaining what's different about the CFL. Again, skipped over that. <laughs> Don't give a shit. All I know about the CFL is that Vince tried to buy it first before he did the XFL, mm. and he was rebuffed. And also, that's where Lesnar was going to go when he tried for the NFL as well, and he fucked up. Mm. And they ended up having to go to Europe for a bit. It's basically like, if you have literally no other option, and you've done the whole NFL scholarship ride yep. as a young adult in America, and you have to play football, otherwise you'll die... Then you go to the CFL. Last chance. Yeah. Like, yeah. So he moves up there and he lives with three other football players. So bear in mind, him and Danny have not long moved in together and now he's moving up to Canada. She supports him. That's pretty much all we're going to hear about. Does she it. move with him? No, no. She just supports him. Yep. On the phone every day. So he takes home only about 175 bucks a week. 
And this is the only real, real fucking down point for Dwayne in the book is... And again, it's probably fucking made up. He tells a story about him and the other three guys he lived with in the rain in the middle of the night rummaging through dumpsters to take mattresses home because they didn't have any beds. I heard him say that, yeah, that there wasn't mates in it. Right. But as part of the story, the, the mattress that was found covered in rain near a dumpster and yeah. he took it and he cleaned it off. Seven bucks in his pocket, not 175 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's making $175 a week, remember. The Rock was bad with money. <laughs> the Rock's got to have his family feast three times a day. So Danny is questioning if this is all worth it, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, on you know? the phone, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other boys on the team, though, were actually uh, kind of into, into wrestling, and they were all watching it together. And Dwayne starts thinking, maybe I can do both. Maybe I can do both at the same time. Not like Fucking I need to idiot. do one as opposed to the other. Yeah. Maybe if like I actually go and do wrestling, which I'm supposedly good at because I beat the fucking wrestling captain at high school. Maybe if I give that a go, I might have more success than being in the fucking CFL. The way I've always viewed that with him was that it was always an option because it wasn't news to Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson when Rocky Johnson's kid wanted to become a wrestler. Yeah. They had it ready to go. Yeah. And I always thought it was, look, that's the nuclear option. There's better money in football. Mm -hmm. And I know because, you know, I've done this, you know, as your father or whatever, I've done this for for X many years. There's only so much money here. So try for football. Yeah. And if football doesn't work out, well, we can always get you a job at Uncle Vince. I'm your backup. Yeah. Basically, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Completely. And luckily enough, Dwayne loses his spot on the team. So he won't have to do both at the same time. Oh, he's brilliant. Oh, that's fortunate. Guys, it actually it's worked out. I've lost my spot on the team. This was exactly how I planned it out. That Danny will be pleased. Like, she God, got what she wanted. Just before I was trying to juggle the logic of doing both at the same time. Isn't that handy? Like, You know, like no one has ever done ever before. <laughs> so he phones his dad and he's like, come and pick me up right now. I need to come back to Tampa. And he does. Takes him home and literally... This is something you've been talking about all the way up till now. Here, this is the big the showdown between Dwayne and Rocky about you want to be a wrestler, do you? His dad's like, I don't think the business is right for you. It's a tough business. And The Rock's like, yeah, well, if you don't train me, then I'll go and get someone else to train me. And his dad's like, well, yeah, in that case, I'd rather it was me. <laughs> and that is the adversity of The Rock arguing with his father. Jesus Christ, there is more to it than that. <sighs> Go on, Dad. Oh, all right then. You know, you know his alcoholic, emotionally abusive father. But nah, it's just fine. I'll do it. I wonder where The Rock, you know, picked up his. I love as well where he's like his first fucking poor call with people is to rip out their tongue or strangle them, <laughs> senseless. I'm just saying, like that's fucking type of behavior he's clearly seen from his father. Like, oh yeah, Jesus. And you heard the stories of wrestling locker rooms in the fucking seventies and shit. I imagine the fucking that man is a hard man. That right there, he's done some fucking dark shit in his life. Yeah. So he moves back. His dad starts training him, and this is where you know this is should be the turning point. Like, yeah, come on, let's get into it. Wrestling time. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm here for. This is what I know about. Time to get excited. And if anything, this kind of gets even more bland here because this next bit is just written like a personal statement on application form. <laughs> it's so fucking bland, all of this. This is where I was hoping for like a good meaty five or six chapters yeah. about The Rock starting off small, working his way up, learning bumps, learning everything. What happens is training goes pretty well. Rock's training with his dad and he's a natural. Well, so that's handy. That's good. So he calls Pat Patterson up and he's like, Pat, 
you know, you know my dad, you worked together in the past, I'm Rocky Johnson's kid. Training to be a wrestler, come down to the gym, have a look. I'm not asking for a tryout or anything, just have a look, see what you think. If you've got any feedback, let me know. So Pat comes down to the gym, Rock wrestles really well in front of him. Pat's impressed and Pat says, how about as a heel? Can you work as a heel? And Rock's like, oh, shit, I'd never, ever thought about working as a heel. I've ne- never even never even tried. In my weeks of training, I've yeah, never once... I've, have they established how much time has passed from training to Patterson showing up? Not an official time scale, but it's meant to be very short. Because he's a natural. You get the impression that he's just such a natural. Mm. The training's going so smoothly. Not like Nick Hogan. You saw the episode of Hogan Knows Best where he's like, Dan, I want to be a wrestler. He's like, okay, let's try. He's like, oh, you're not very good. Oh. So they stop. Why don't you fucking become a terrible driver instead? He's like, well, I'm already that. And then he's like in court because he fucking nearly killed his best friend. Wow, you're a natural at this. Wow. Why, why don't you go to jail, Nick Hogan? I was about to say the Noel Foley of the Holy of the Hogan family, but I don't think that's really the same thing. <laughs> no, it's not. Like at least in that, they all had a laugh at the end. Going, you're fucking rubbish. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know, I suck. Like, so Pat says to him, "You're good. You're good. But can you work as a heel?" And the Rock's like, "I've literally never ever tried to be a heel before. I never thought of it. But I'll give it a go." Well, you know it. He's good at that as well. He's brilliant. He just he's comes good. back in wearing a leather vest and leather pants. Like it's just perfect. Like you know, it fits the bill. Like this is the fucking worst. Like least interesting story there is. Everything he tries, he's good at. He gets what he wants. That's just even the bits of fake adversity that he makes up aren't enough to stop it from being obvious that it's a book about privilege. Like he's just got everything handed to him. He's I'm lucky. Not, I'm yeah. not having a go. I'm no. not having a go. I love The Rock. But it's just blatantly, like, the book needs to be written in a different style to stop fucking trying to disguise that fact. It's very strange because, I mean, I'm trying to think of other wrestlers who have, like, autobiographies or anything like that or whose stories I'm intimately familiar with who've not had an adversity to overcome and not have the kind of, you know, starring at the bottom, you know, Jericho's book, Foley's book, Regal's book, even Flair, you know, he yeah. he really had to start at the fucking bottom and go through grueling camps and all this stuff. Whereas The Rock, like, just had, uh, admittedly, his biggest fan, his dad, kind of go, look, no, you can't do this. Oh, okay, you can, I guess. <laughs> you know? And any of the adversity that he came up with was with a big blanket and cushiony, you know, yo, go on the tightrope, but don't worry, there's a bouncy castle or two yep, underneath. Absolutely. So he's quite fortunate in that sense. And the only person I can think of who remotely comes close to this story is Randy Orton. Yeah? Has we- Randy read, uh, published a book? No, he's not. But just in terms of the backstory of... He went to become, you know, a Marine and all that, and he was a fuck-up, and he went absent, he was AWOL, he had to go to the brig, and mm. all this shit, and then it's like, Dad, I think I'll become a wrestler, he's like, I don't know if you want it, he's really, yeah, seriously, oh, alright, and he, he's a natural, and yeah. then he gets a phone call, and then he's there, and it's very much, yes, he had adversity, but admittedly it was adversity, much of which was his own doing, Yeah, and the rest of it was cushioned with a, you can always become a wrestler, though. So mm. it's all right. Like. It'd be like me trying to say that, oh, yeah, my life story about how I became a podcaster is oh, the adversity, you know, like I got I was bullied a bit, I guess. Like, it's, it's just too much of a stretch. But yeah, you won't see people like Randy Orton or Roman Reigns publishing books these days. I guess. Roman as well, almost identical almost story. Almost identical to this, yeah. Naya as well, like, a little bit kind of, but mm. I guess it's less... Naya because she was less obviously going to be a wrestler and it was less of an obvious route for her to do it so wouldn't you know it Pat phones him up in a few days time Rock 
You've got a dark match. We want you to try out in front of Vince. Against Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> in the main event of WrestleMania. <laughs> hey, kid, what's this? It's the WWF Championship. <laughs> Wear it with pride. And that's how I became Darak. And I think we're going to round out this portion of the book here with... Oh, my God. This, this is maybe my favorite bit of the whole book. This is The Rock's reaction to finding out he's got a tryout at the WWF. He's, like, a few months ago just decided to become a wrestler. And now he's got a tryout at the biggest company in wrestling. I called Danny right away and I told her the good news. She was ecstatic. Then I celebrated by going to the gym and working out and having a great lunch. So, that's The Rock fucking overwhelmed with emotion wow right what a there. lunch he must have had now I think that's a nice point to leave it there because we're going to get to him entering the WWF now and his all oh, the ups and the downs the adversity of the rock go- this is probably actually the, the biggest adversity he faces is his I debut say, like. hey, no fuck, I mean he gets booed a bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's as bad as it gets really looking at his big checks going man this is hard <laughs> now I will say the next half of the book probably won't take that long to go through because, spoiler alert folks, a good chunk of it is The Rock in The Rock's persona recapping matches. And it's oh fucking God. tedious. Like, a third of the book, I'm not kidding, a third of the book is, and then The Rock picked up mankind, he smelled the air and he laid the smack down. All that bullshit, and it's just boring. Is it really weird to think of Mr. Layden doing the... You're writing that out like... And actually like leaning away from his typewriter to do the smelling the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've literally just thought of this just now while we were talking. Because the second half of the book's going to be a little bit shorter, what we might do for the next recording is before we do it, I might have a look at the Rock's biography documentary that they've got on the network. And just because that was made like 10 years after this book came mm, out. The story Find way up which parts of the story he's left out altogether. Or embellished or yeah, whatever. Not going to go through it with a fine tooth comb, but I'm just going to give it a watch and just be able to then compare and say, well, actually nowadays he doesn't even fucking mention that bit at all. Like, mm. I think it might be interesting to see how he's changed the narrative a bit. Yeah, because I think from even the first half of the book, it's obvious two things. One, the narrative has changed somewhat. And two... The Rock has got a questionable past. Yeah, Rock's I, full of shit, man. I mean, I'm glad that the fucking story has changed because it wouldn't be like out of, hey, it's a motivational Monday with The Rock. This one time, this girl was like really talking shit about my dad and I strangled her until she went blue in the face. See you next week. That's it. That's the thing. It's like they've glossed over so much stuff and there's just like a little bit still showing underneath like all this grime. It makes me worry that like... Are there lots of other instances of Rock pulling out people's tongues? And you stuff? say it, motherfucker. I'll pull your goddamn tongue out. You say it right now. Say it, motherfucker. Say it. I believe it. Say it. It boots to asses. You're goddamn right. Lights out, jabroni. Another tongue for the necklace. You know? Do you smell what the Rock is cooking? The Rock says... Greetings there, once again, back in the book club with Adam Bibolo. Should we start calling this Bibolo's book club? <laughs> or the Bibolotech? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a good episode where you start off by like, oh. oh man, we should have branded those other three, like... I tell you now, that's just brought back all the memories of every fucking German class, year 7 to year 10. <laughs> Anytime Bibliotech came up and every person in front of me just turned, you know when they turn around <laughs> over their chairs and just do that, 
just stare at you like say the line Adam that's that's you that is <laughs> Biblio Adam Bibliotech yeah <laughs> alright yeah the Bibliotech is now open again <laughs> Getting your library cards because the bibliotech is a, a bibliotech sounds great though. It sounds like you kind of you know Adam Bibolo lost a loser leaves town match. You come back as the third man in Techno Team 2000, like you know. That's the name of my uh, gadget review channel on YouTube, Bibliotech. Yeah. How you doing? I'm it's... I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited to get the rest of this out of the way with. A little bit of a uh, time in between these two uh, reviews. It's been a fair while, and that means that I've because as you may have remembered. In the last recording, I said that I crammed the whole book in in one week. Yeah, you did. And because we've left it a good five weeks since that recording, I've had to sort of re-skim through. <laughs> so as if, you know, first time wasn't bad enough, baby, I've been over it again. Just That's have another check. That's fucking harsh. That's like having to read over the back, the blurb at the back of the book to fluff your way through a book report. Like, <laughs> it truly was a good night. For Mr. Tom, like. <laughs> I do like as well a little bit behind the scenes kind of info there. Like you, uh, executive producer Adam Bibolo, brackets creative control Adam Bibolo, like literally halfway through the last episode, The Rock says, "It's like yeah, it's going to be a two par, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in it." Because I'm sick of talking about. <laughs> I'm pissed. I'm done. Like, and I was like, "Yeah, cool." <laughs> <laughs> So if a part three is coming out of this, you've officially tried to get too many glasses of juice out of this fruit, okay? So this is definitely it now, right? The, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna polish this off. There's not a great deal to talk about with this half of the book. That's like. literally what like the rocks, you know, ghostwriter and publisher. There's not a great deal to talk about in this half of the book. The first half or the second, both halves, really. If we're being perfectly honest, there's not a great deal to talk about. Hey, tell you what, there was a little bit of a you know watching a lot of the Rawls and Smackdowns for season three at the moment. Mm. Mad shit. Really mad shit. Yeah, spooky. But I will tell you, The Rock says made an appearance. Yeah, two years after the fact. There it is again. Yeah, so Kurt Angle had his book, It's True, It's True, which I'm sure he spent ages writing. <laughs> <laughs> like ages so he's probably a pre-existing Kurt Angle autobiography <laughs> it's like, like Mad Libs where you put your wrestler's <laughs> name in <laughs> Kurt Angle won the smelly championship <laughs> from dumb cold Steve Austin <laughs> so yeah he, he shows up and he's like oh I got a, I got a book coming out and they're you know you should write a book someday Rock and I was like did a spit take because I'm like have they literally forgotten like a year and a half later and just the retconned the book The Rock's like oh actually The Rock already wrote a book no you didn't no, you the, didn't. the Rock says New York Times number one bestseller you know as he does that 2001 The Rock says New York Times <laughs> Got to zhuzh it up a bit, man. Exactly. Make People it sound more exciting. Lights out, Smash. He's yeah. still got 20 crates of these in his garage he's trying to flog, so he wants to try and zhuzh it up. But... So he says to Kurt Angle that maybe one day Kurt will become a New York Times best-selling author. Like, so. Does that ever happen? I don't. I think It's True, It's True was in that kind of low period where... That, you know, where books were still doing well enough that a wrestling book coming on wouldn't automatically put it on the top of the charts. Mm. I don't think Kurt's got onto the New York Times. This is after the peak as well, don't forget. Yeah. Like, you've lost Austin to being a heel now. The Rock's gone and come back again. People aren't watching wrestling like, anymore. Eric like. Bischoff got to the New York Times bestseller really? list. Yeah. With, but after I guess, the peak. 
controversy creates cash. I mean, I guess you know people wanted to hear. I mean, I remember like that was the uh, one of the only books I was like, yeah, fuck. It's like mm. a shoot interview, but it's written down. <laughs> 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 I want to read that. Like, and surprisingly, I don't think uh, Vince Russo has made it onto the bestseller uh, no. list yet. So, all right, enough beating around the bush. Let's get on with this. Uh, fucking for shit. fuck's sake! All right. Well, if you remember. Because we said last time that the second half of the book, there isn't a great deal of content. Yeah. I was going to go ahead and check out, I think it's called The Epic Story of the Rock on the, the WWE uh, Network. The Epic Story of the Rock, the bottom line, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment and the all-time greatest superstar in WWE <laughs> history. <laughs> the Rock. <laughs> Previously on AMC's The Rock, ripped a tongue out of a guy's head mm. and choked some women mm. and... Managed to fail at football, but in a really successful way. Yeah. Awesome. None of that on the network, surprisingly really. enough. So how did it go? This was the one that came out like, around the time of his return, was it? Like, yeah, ma- maybe like a year after he came back, I think. It was around that period. But obviously The Rock says the book, about the first half of the book is him, you know, his journey through being a teenager, going through football, and then finally arriving at wrestling. And the second half of the book is him being a wrestler. And not having any real moments of self-doubt along the way. No, 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 no. God, no. But in the documentary, we get to him being a wrestler. Did you guess, guess how long it takes for him to become a wrestler in the documentary? Well, how we go from... Pre-wrestle to From wrestle. Birth of the Rock to he's a wrestler. Well, if I remember the old DVDs, like because I used to be a fiend for collecting the the two disc sets on mm. wrestling. That was my fucking bag. Pillman, Perfect, Jake the Snake. I would always get the two disc set. I love that. And almost always, the first chapter was before they became arrested. They were like a footballer or some shit. So mm-hmm. I'm going to assume like five to ten minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah. Wow. You were right in there, the correct ballpark there. So. Really, as a comparison between the book and the documentary, there's not a lot to go. Well, that's that's a bit of a shock because he really lays it on that. Like these days, it's them them's the years that made the rock. Yeah, I know. It's like that's his formative years when he really went through those hardships, and that's what the book lays on thick. Is that like obviously his wrestling career was pretty immaculate, so we have to focus on all the hardships in his earlier life. Yeah, yeah. None of that in the documentary. The famous story, The Rock, you know, he had nothing but six dirty mattresses to his name. But, and then he had to go fishing through a dumpster to find a, a, a dollar, just a single dollar <laughs> that he could have. Like, you know. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a good comparison between 99 Dwayne and like regular modern scary Dwayne. Because yeah. literally the first 60 seconds of the documentary, before we get to anything, it's like showing you some highlights of what's to come. And all we get is Dwayne going, the truth is The Rock never left the WWE. And then saying things like, I just wanted to prove that I could have a career of my own outside of wrestling. And the last one, my favourite one, I never wanted to leverage my position in wrestling to become a Hollywood star. That's not what The Rock wanted. I mean, I'm sure he thinks that. Yeah, I just, I love, they literally, 60 seconds at the very start, get this all out oh, there. Oh, that's, that's the how it, That's how it opens, Kevin. Oh, with shit. Him, like, let's set the record straight yeah. straight away. I'm not a sellout. I've always been in the WWE. I'm not a jabroni. I never left. <laughs> I want to thank you. I love you. I said I love you again. Didn't I say I love you? I said it. I told you. I had it written on my hand. I love you. Like (laughs) I have completely. That's like a Bernstein Bears moment because I had that fucking DVD Mm. and I remember kind of going. I like the bit where he referenced that and I thought it was like right in the core. 
right in the caramel of the documentary, like right in there, he kind of comes out with this moment like right in the fucking Literally, start. yeah, front and centre. So, yeah, there's not really a lot to say about the contrast between his upbringing in the documentary and his upbringing in the book. We certainly don't see him strangle any women. He doesn't try and pull anyone's tongue out. Does he talk about his dad? Little bit. I mean, we get the usual WWE, Rocky Johnson was part of the first African-American tag team. You know, the very quick spiel. Fucking Here's what you yeah. need to know. Like, Danny, his ex-wife, appears in the documentary a lot and has always got a big smile on her face and speaks really highly about She's Dwayne. She's like his manager. So. I, she wa- I mean, I she was his manager after they split up still. Yeah, so clearly a very good relationship yeah. after the fact. Like, And again, something that you hit on that the book didn't really emphasise about his dad being against The Rock being a pro wrestler. Mm. In the documentary, he tries to persuade Dwayne. He says, oh, he wanted to become a wrestler. I tried to persuade him not to do it but he had his mindset on it, so I trained him. Mm. And that's it, again. So I'm not sure where you've heard this about the Rocky Johnson being dead against it. Like, if he said that elsewhere, or... I swear I've heard that Mm. elsewhere. I'm trying to think where it was now. It might have even been an interview with with him himself, like, for RF or something like Mm. that. But I swear I've heard that. If you know in the comments below, because I, I... I know I've not made that story up. I have heard that. It could have been that that was a story the Rockies to tell at some point. Because I will say, like, in both the documentary and the book, they make mention of the fact that his dad was against it, but then in both of them, they very quickly sweep it under the rug. Like, But then eventually it was fine. Like, you know, he let him do it. So maybe there is more there. There is elements of Rocky Johnson's story that I don't think are... Let's say I don't think they're public knowledge mm. and I don't think necessarily that it behooves WWE or The Rock or anyone. That's the thing. For it I think if it wasn't The Rock's family, maybe you'd know more stuff about Rocky Johnson. Yeah, there's right? i I've I've just heard like a scantest of things that he was fucking he was a bit of a dick. Yeah. To put it lightly. But yeah. I mean, hair look at anyone from a nineteen seventies fucking wrestling locker room and the shit that he had to put up as yeah. an African American in like the seventies yeah. in Legit. fucking that territory. Product you know? of the times, I'm sure. Like yeah. not excusing anything. No. Anyway, we're trying to fucking avoid this book. Come on, let's, let's talk it. more about the documentary. Let's talk more about the colour okay. photos. Okay, okay, right. So where did we leave off, Kevin? We left off when drain drain when <laughs> Drain, drain the plug showers. Drain the pipe, Johnson. Is this an issue? We stopped where it was like he. I've become a wrestler now. Like he was like he was getting called up to actually start in Memphis or something like that. Was that where we stopped? He was getting offered a dark match in WWF itself, and he told Danny on the phone, and then he went and he had a great lunch. If you remember, oh, yeah, he had a great lunch. <laughs> so he basically yeah, he invited Pat Patterson down to his gym to see him work a little bit. So he's not worked any match. Like this is literally like. I've been training with my pops. Yep. Here comes P-Double, Pat Patterson. Yep. And I'm getting a dark match. Yes. Fucking hell. Nice. Now, that is one thing that in the documentary they sort of cover a little bit differently. Because in the documentary, he says that he went to Greenwich and he spent hours and hours and hours and hours working in the gym with, I think he says Brawler. I think it might have been Brawler. It might No, uh, Tom Pritchard. Pritchard, Yeah, It was Pritchard he said he was working with. Because I, I remember as well hearing about that, but like Tom Pritchard had, you know, was basically they they knew he was special or they, they, yeah. they had big plans straight away. So he was kind of sequestered away and was given loads of one to one because Dr. Tom was their guy for that at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. So picking up in book two, Avenged, 
of the rock stars. Uh, this chapter, Flex Cavana. Oh, yes! What a name! The original gimmick, mate. The OG Flex. So, his dark match is going to be his first match ever. He's never had an actual match. So, Flex Cavana. Mm. For me, it feels like if they wanted to like expand the Stretch Armstrong universe. Now, I know we've talked about... <laughs> Stretch Armstrong. Vac Man. And Vac Man. Fetch Armstrong. Yeah. Oh, of course, Fetch. The dog, yeah. I forgot about Fetch Armstrong. But, uh, Flex Cavana feels like he could be like the leader of a, of a group of beach baddies. Yeah. You know? And his gimmick is he doesn't stretch, but boy, can he flex. Like. <laughs> I thought he was going to go stretch so he could kick over a sandcastle. <laughs> And Stretch Armstrong's like, that's not on, like, you know. And then the kid's like, actually, we should bring Stretch Armstrong to the beach because the high salt content will the probably... The coarseness of the sand yeah. is like, he's going to rip right through that silicon. And like. probably affect the pressure of the corn syrup inside. I'd rather talk about anything than this part. Please! <laughs> hey, remember uh, He-Man? Uh, remember Masters of the Universe? Uh, please! Please remember things! We need to get a move on. I am one bullet point in my notes. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay, so his first ever, ever match is a dark match in WWF and he's working against the Brooklyn Brawler. Fucking love that Brooklyn Brawler is his first opponent. I know, yeah. It's so fitting, isn't it? Did you see the thing with Brawler with Heath Slater at Raw 25. Yes! That was lovely. Beautiful. Yeah, nice to see him. Uh, so Rock wins this first ever match under the name of Dwayne Johnson. And apparently it's like a two-night tryout, so he's not done yet. The yeah. next night is going to be a second match, this time with Chris Candido. Wow, I literally to pick two people to have my first two matches with. That's who you'd pick. Pretty much, like, yeah. yeah. nice and safe. Nice and safe will make me look amazing, like. Well... The finish for the Candido match is a Frankensteiner off the top rope. By The Rock! No, no, from The Rock. Sorry, to The Rock, sorry. Okay. So, But The Rock said he's never taken a Frankensteiner before, and I imagine that's quite a scary move to be taken. Yeah, you have to... You come close to land on your head, your vision's obscured by the guy's legs, you have to do kind of... It's one of those ones where it's like, you have to know how you fall, like how your body reacts to gravity, so you can get over without clearly seeing where you're going to land yeah like i can't make a fall like that in mario without seeing where i land <laughs> yes alone in real life with your actual body ain't no assist mode in the wwe <laughs> <laughs> you know steve austin gets dropped on his head he's comes in a bubble like bro <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on talk about this book <laughs> So he's never taken a Frankensteiner before, much less one off the top rope. But wouldn't you know it, Kevin? <laughs> For fuck's the sake. kids are natural. <laughs> I I'm so fucking sick of this. So is like, he like literally? Like, oh, it would have been scary, except oh, I'm really good. Like how how does he get about phrasing that? Like, uh, let's see if I can find it in it specifically. As far as I know. He's just like, oh, The Rock's never taken a Frankensteiner, much less a top-rope Frankensteiner. Because he, he's still in the regular font here. He's not assumed the role oh, no, no, don't of worry. the Dark Passenger. I'll let you know. I'll, le- <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when the bob in him comes out through the, uh, <laughs> the different right. font. Like. For someone who had never even tried a regular Frankensteiner, it had the potential to be a disaster. I never told Chris of my inexperience. That's terrible. He never told Chris of his inexperience. Like, How does he not know? You should probably let the guy know that you've never taken this dangerous move. Someone <laughs> should have told him. Any trepidation I might have had, I kept to myself. 
I knew that we planned a good match and we could pull it off. It'd be one step closer to achieving my dream. To be candid, I was not lacking in confidence. I believed even though the Frankensteiner was new to me, I was capable of performing the move smoothly and safely. So literally, yeah, he's just, he's, he's cocky rock. Like, he doesn't even tell the guy that he's uh, maybe not taken one of these before and he could be a little bit nervous. Like, that's a fairly newish move. And The Rock wasn't like, he wasn't into wrestling at the time. Mm. So if someone went into my ear, I'm going to give it top rope Frankensteiner I'd be like what? what? yeah what's that? like cause his dad ain't teaching him no fucking no, Frankensteiner no and his dad's the one that's training him like also a top rope Frankensteiner is in no way more dangerous than a regular Frankensteiner cause a regular Frankensteiner is literally like they jump up you know, mm. Scott Steiner's suit it's a standing Hurricane Rana yeah which means you have to flip over full body super quick and that one is the one where people land on their head all the time you're so close to the ground already. exactly you've no air to kind of flip yourself yeah. just bam broken neck <laughs> well the kids are natural of Kevin. course he is not like Chris Candido like you know so he gets signed obviously because the kids are natural and they send him to developmental in Memphis which is the USWA United States Wrestling Alliance. Oh, so that would have been uh, Jerry Lawler who's pretty much his, his hotbed at the time. That would explain something. <laughs> he rebrands himself as Flex Cavana when he's working in Memphis. And yeah, interesting you should say it's Lawler's territory because one of the uh, programs he works there is The Rock and his tag team partner Brian Christopher. Wow. Taking on Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee. Fucking hell. What a team. Yeah, what a feud, mate. Team bad Memphis memories. <laughs> like, you know, team Memphis has a dark and twisted fucking past. Like, team fucking paid off witnesses. Like, <laughs> you know. Jesus. Easy money. Like. Oh, God. I. You know what? I would love, I would love to find because I, I used to you ever watched the, I don't know if you had TWC back in the day like on digital the wrestling yeah, channel yeah I remember I've written before for Calling Spots and talked a bit about like how that was my introduction to pretty much non-WWE wrestling yeah. and now and then I caught they'd have like a half hour of of Memphis. Me, old Memphis tapes and it's fucking mad it's like literally a room basically the size of this room probably like four times as many people as are in here at the moment you know me and you are the only people being here <laughs> And just, like, this long, weird wrestling show in front of, like, ten people who are all just sat down, like, in little chairs, like, in a little studio. Yeah. Like, not a, re and a ring takes up, like, 85% of it. Right. And there's, like, Jerry Lawler coming out and he's going to wrestle a fucking dragon or some fucking shit, like. And Lance fuck? Russell is there saying, like, he's about to go into a catatonic state, he's so bored. And there's been constant rumours about it showing up on the network. Because I think uh, Jerry owns some of the rights. You know, Jimmy Hart owns some of the rights. The rights are kind of... Not only Lance Russell's family owns some as well. The, the rights are kind of up in the air. Yeah. Jerry wants it on the network, though. Do people want it on the network? I fucking do. Like, because you get to see, like, Flex Cavan, like, Kurt Angle. Like, he goes... Yeah. The guys who they thought were going to be stars. Mm. USWA was their finishing skill because USWA had... Big names like Jerry Lawler and stuff like that there. It also had weekly TV and it was also shot in a studio. So they was there to learn the cameras and all that shit. So you got sent there if it was like, you're going to be on TV. Yeah. As opposed to like OVW at Heartland where originally... It might work out, it might not. Like, yeah, you're not, you going there doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on TV. Yeah. So fucking hell, like some of Flex's stuff. Yeah, I'd love to see The Rock on like a really shitty, like Eric Andre looking public access <laughs> wrestling show. Like, I'd actually really want to see that myself now you've said it. And now I just want Hannibal Buress to commentate on weird Memphis accent. <laughs> like, yeah, love that. Like, 
I see. I saw Hannibal Rest. He did his uh, where he did commentating on weird wrestling clips with Cole Cabana in the end. Oh fringe. yeah, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like me and like twenty people in a room, and Hannibal Bress who was really drunk and really, really jet lagged, and he had never seen any wrestling in his life before. <laughs> and Cole Cabana showed him a clip of the evil Doink the Clown run, where he had a, a double like beat someone up, he pull out his fake arm, you know, pretending to have a broken arm, and he yeah. just said, "Get that clown ass motherfucker out of here!" and fell off his chair laughing. Thing, like <laughs> tears streaming down his face. <laughs> I I always get the feeling that Hannibal Buress and Billy would be best mates. Yes, like absolutely. So <laughs> I love him. So he was in Memphis for six months, and the six months that he was there, he said he worked in barns, car dealership forecourts, and carnivals. Wow! So paying hot dogs. Yeah, very quick six months of paying your dues. Like, let's put you in the shittest venues possible so you can say that yeah. you've done it. Like, and this is like what ninety five. Um, oh, do we actually have a time for this? You know, because well, like, if he's like, if you're saying he's six months there and then he goes straight to WWF because he doesn't go anywhere else, yeah, and he debuts in WWF at Survivor Series '96, that means that it's literally this is 1996. This is like summer. It must be. It must be. Yeah, the, the the book doesn't always paint very clear timelines. Like occasionally they'll drop in a year. Like in '97, I spoke to Jim Ross. God, like, imagine how difficult it was to into Ghostwriter before Wikipedia. Like legit, <laughs> legit. You'd have to phone the Rock up every time you needed something, and he ain't taking no phone calls. Yeah, I bet that. Uh, who's the fucker who wrote this? Joe Layden. I bet Joe Layden is like, give me another go, Rock. Give me another bite of that apple. I'll give it a proper go at Wikipedia now. So he goes back to WWF again for another dark match to sort of see how he's got on yeah, after yeah. six months in Memphis. This time he's working with Owen Hart. Oh, fucking brawler, Candido, Owen Hart. Legit, like, they know that he's the guy. They're putting him, they're fucking softballing yeah. him with these. He ain't working with no acolytes on his no. dark match. And your next opponent is X-Pac in a DeLorean from 1999. <laughs> like, you know, in he comes. Like. Now, apparently at the time, Owen had a broken arm gimmick, but The Rock wasn't made aware that it was a gimmick. He thought it was a real broken arm. So apparently all throughout the match, Rock was avoiding that arm and trying to be really soft on that arm. Oh, and apparently yes. Owen like busted a gut laughing like in the ring when he realised what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because if you're, if you're playing this as like kind of, it's like a, an RPG or something, you know, if your first kind of three matches or whatnot, and then the third one, it's kind of, you've done two, you've done two bosses, two matches now. The third one though, it's like kind of like own heart and a little joker face, like, yeah, I'm going to play a trick on you in the ring. <laughs> oh no! Like, sometimes wrestlers will do a rib on you and the rib is in bold and it's added to the action guys. That's how he teaches you the new mechanics. <laughs> like, that's what own heart's there for. He's a tutorial given motherfucker. <laughs> And then after the match, Owen ribs The Rock by telling him that he went and told Vince that The Rock was a shit, was the shit. <laughs> like, with apparently, like, the plainest face, like, oh, yeah, I told Vince you were fucking dreadful to work with. I love you, Owen Hart. Yeah, Rock I was, like, heartbroken. Oh, like, my God. That is brilliant. I love that. The first time he's met the man and he's already winding him up something rotten, like... Because he already knows, like, straight, like, he's, he'll be fine, like. Yeah, he's going to be one of the guys. Like, yeah. I can take the piss out of him. So he gets moved to the main roster, and as we all know, he debuts at Survivor Series as Rocky Maivia. God, so Flex Cavana like didn't really get good that gimmick enough time to breathe. I don't think. Again, it's stuff like if I'm honest, I wish this book was a bit more like the documentary, and that it just sort of sped through those boring football years and spent a bit more time telling stories from Memphis because that's yeah. what this book lacks is stories. It just tells you events. 
Like, there's you no, think, like, yeah. oh, in, in Memphis, it was the first time I met the king, and you won't believe what happened when we met for the first time. Like, there's, there's sure nothing, stories. nothing like that. Or, like, Brian Christopher, this jabroni that became Grandmaster Sexay. Or, like, if you could tell us about what it was like to wrestle in a fucking car dealership. Instead of just saying, I wrestled in a car dealership. Because, you know, like, Jericho's book, he, like, I don't know if you've read... Uh, I haven't read his, no. He, like, write these amazing stories of, like, him and Lance Storm, like, literally wrestling at a kid's birthday party. Mm. for like and they get paid in like hot dogs and popcorn and a glass of soda each oh. yeah but they, he paints the fucking picture and you can just you, you're there you feel yep. the fucking desperation and the embarrassment of being someone who's trying to do their craft mm-hmm. in this really awkward environment like it's like when me and Billy did stand up for a four year old's birthday party in their front <laughs> room like just like you feel for it and it's like, that would make The Rock more human absolutely because in my mind I have this kind of idea that like these men in dark suits opened up a limo and brought brought The Rock in in this hermetically sealed bag <laughs> it's like open him up like right go out wrestle there don't look at the people just go out do your thing like Flex Gavan. All right, in you go. Right back to Stanford. (laughs) Don't look Jerry Lawler in the eye. (laughs) He'll turn you. The Rocky Maivia section of the book is pretty standard. You know, it's the story you've heard a million times, and The Rock doesn't really have anything to add to it that you don't already know. So at this point, is he like. Is he like I came out of Survivor Series and I look fucking stupid and the people didn't like me? Is he is he straight up about that? No, he's basically more saying. He's describing Rocky Maivia in a more favourable way, like not saying he looks stupid, but he's like the Rock debuted Rocky Maivia, uh, the sort of the smiling go-getter, clean baby face, and what an honour it was to be in Madison Square right, Garden, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what an honour it was to be the sole survivor on my first match, like that kind of thing. That's more what he focuses on. Because now it's like you know, show he loves showing the picture. I look like a fucking dumbass. Yeah, <laughs> that sounded more like Stone Cold. <laughs> Bottom line is, it sucked. <laughs> Austin Maivia wasn't getting over. <laughs> Nothing too insightful here. Um, once he's given the Intercontinental Belt and he gets a bit more of a push, you get the Die Rocky Die chance. And okay, so like, at what point is he reckoning that this ain't working? Like, because it feels like he's just kind of he's a bit ignorant if you think. Because Rocky Maivia was dead in the water from the word go. Like, yeah, everyone hated us. The way the book describes it is more like at first here he is, and then he gets a bit of a push. He wins the belt, the Intercontinental Belt, and then people start turning on him and they don't like him. He doesn't really piss on the, the gimmick so much as just, like, the fans weren't digging it. it right. Wasn't, it wasn't genuine, you know? So, it, does he kind of point that as, it was my fault, or it was, like, kind of, like, the fans grew sick of me because my gimmick is kind of stale, or was he more like, oh, actually, the fans are just being unreasonable, and Rocky Maivia was awesome? He definitely oh, he definitely doesn't say Rocky Maivia is awesome. Let me just double-check, because I'm honestly not sure if he pins the blame on himself. So what he says is the way he justifies it is that Rocky Maivia was being forced down people's throats. Mm. So necessarily, it doesn't matter if the gimmick was good or bad, it was the fact that it was being forced upon people that made right. him turn okay. against yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. So really, I guess he's blaming the office, yeah. if you want to look at it that way. But he gets a knee injury and he's going to be out for eight weeks and he tells JR that he wants to rethink his character. Like, maybe this isn't working. Have you seen any of The Rock's matches from around that time? I honestly haven't. I've not seen any of the Rocky Maivia stuff. It's really interesting because you're six months, like... You wouldn't, you wouldn't know it. I'm not saying he's good by any stretch, but, you know, you've, I don't know if you've ever seen in NXT, like, if anyone's ever, like, popped on screen who's only been doing it for, like, you know... Like, I mean, the, the, the big lads, kind of, they break out, it's kind of 
you know, in three years' time, maybe this person will be worth yeah. something. Like, you ever see when Baron Corbin, like, when they first brought him out, it was a jobber. It was like, Jesus, like, this guy yeah. can't fucking work for shit. But, like, you didn't get that from The Rock at all. Huh? And I can see why they were like, yeah, let's fucking push him. Because we've got all, like, he has a killer, like, he's a fucking killer charisma and a killer look in terms of he looks like a fucking star yeah he's a thoroughbred he's got history in the business he is young he's young mm-hmm. he's so fucking young and he's this good after six months you really can kind of see what and of course it's 1996 where everyone is pissing on this product and everyone's yep. late this is like nash and hall have just fucking left they're it's, starved they're starved like guys so i don't really uh, much more so you know people always draw the comparisons with roman reigns but like you think like Roman Reigns actually, there's a lot of stuff working against them, and they kind of maybe should have picked up on the the hints a bit more. Whereas for them, looking at this with the knowledge they had then, because they never really had pushed someone like that that quickly with mm. that little experience before. Of course, why not? Yeah, you that's know, so true. And again, yeah, like you say, it's different with Roman Reigns because I feel like when they decided they were going to do that with Roman, they had ample choice of guys they could have picked on the roster to be another big yeah. top guy, like. Whereas The Rock, obviously, they were like they only had a few guys on the roster that could be considered stars at that yeah, point. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, they, they were right to push him heavily, but obviously, they had no idea what the fuck they were doing with his gimmick. Yeah, like, how, I think they didn't realize that fans didn't want that like hokey shit anymore. I mean, you've got like Kevin Ash and Scott Hall tasering and spray painting people, and here comes yeah. fucking The Rock with literally the big. Hey, hey guys. Like, yeah. So he's out for eight weeks with his knee injury. He's going to rethink The Rock's brand. The Rock's ass. We get a very brief two page subchapter where Rock marries Danny and they get married. It's happy. It's a lovely day. Yay. She is love of life. <laughs> they have a kid together, don't they? Yes, they do. I always forget about that. Always forget. He never, ever, ever mentions it. Him and. Austin never mentioned their kids. Austin, yeah, he talks more about his fucking truck and his dog than he talks about his kids. Yeah, I mean, a kid's a kid, like Hershey's a wonder dog, though, and they oh. like. So. Oh, wait, no, Hershey dies. Oh. God. Maybe his kids will get a little bit more of a look in now, like. Kind <laughs> Doubt of, you might buy a new dog. <laughs> Actually, no, Hershey, when you're married, I've made arrangements for me to be buried alive alongside <laughs> 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 Terrified, Austin. <laughs> His big ass dog shaped mausoleum. Like. Jesus Christ. So he returns back from his injury, and JR says to him, I want to turn you heel. What do you reckon to that? I'm going to put you with the Nation of Domination. God, fucking JR, just like, what a fixer. Yeah, legit. JR is just the man to talk to if you're not if you're not getting on well with your character or your gimmick. He just he just sees where the logic is. And I wish because I can't think of anyone in their current backstage crew that you could say that about today is like, oh, he's the guy that always sorts them out. In NXT, it's Triple H. He's the guy you can imagine saying or Regal or yes, yeah, a character. Anyone like. in NXT saying to the guy, your character's not working. How about let's talk about this together and let's try and figure something out. Oh, that being said, though, you kind of look at NXT Breaking Ground from like what two and a half years ago and Leia's there like oh, I don't know what my character is and Willie Regal's like yeah we need to work on that and they see her on TV and like well did you? because <laughs> it doesn't seem like you've done that <laughs> oh so you just do the gimmick that Willie Regal says was confusing and doesn't work oh okay cool guess it works now then alright <laughs> so Rock's enthusiastic and he agrees that he wants to be a heel joining the nation seems like a good thing to do 
I want to get with you know. I want to get with Ahmed Johnson and want to be a uh, part of that clan. I'm part of the the, the cool group. I want to be out with Crush and uh, <laughs> oh, PG thirteen. Like oh geez, the pre attitude era nation of domination. The Rock, you know. Hey, I just want to say, Brian Adams. I think you're gonna do big things in Chronic. Ooh. I've got that Chronic Rock program that we wanted, didn't we? Oh Jesus Christ! He makes it very clear to Russo. He talks to him. And he makes it very clear that he wants to verbalize that him joining the nation isn't a race thing. And he just wants like a bit of time on the mic to make that very clear. Yeah, I think that that was something the nation solely could have done, sorely could have done with a number of times is them kind of explaining what the fuck it is they're all about. Like, because they pretty much very strongly said it is a race thing. Yeah. How were you meant to interpret it differently? Like, they were dressed as Black Panthers, they would do that big, like, um, salute. Yeah. It was clearly framed as a race thing. But you ever see like some of the promos of like '96 that Farouk was doing? No. It's literally like you know, it's because I'm a black man and the white man is holding. Oh, so that me. is that is about race then? Like, it, they case. they pitch it straight up as a race thing. Absolutely. Yep. So yeah. Well, The Rock didn't like that. He wanted to make it very clear that him joining the nation wasn't a race thing. And this this isn't a really big deal, but it's a it perfectly illustrates how The Rock tells a story differently in the two different formats. Because in the book, it's basically, I went and I talked to Vince Russo and I said to him, I want to vocalise, it's not a race thing. And Vince said, yeah, sure, we'll do a promo. But in the documentary, it's like, I looked at Vince and I said, I just need one chance to speak my mind to the fans. Just 30 seconds. If it's nothing else, just give The Rock 30 seconds. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah. I don't think he really knew what, uh, what he was in for. <laughs> You know, he tries to reframe little things as like these magic moments that really made The Rock. Like, what Vince is there going to work? A guy with six months training who's been groomed for a top spot. Give him 30 seconds on the mic with his big return and heel turn. Jeez, uh, I don't know. It's highly unorthodox, Rocky. Yeah, I mean, in real life, it was probably like, well, yeah, we were, we were going to give you that anyway, mate. Like Only 30 seconds. <laughs> Hey, if you're fucking big pro, you're going to be your top guy. Like, fucking talk for five minutes. But that's when he does that famous promo where he's like, uh, he turns on the fans. Rocky sucks. The Rock may be a lot of things, but sucks isn't one of them. Like, which grammatically doesn't quite sit well with me, but it's fine. It's better than buy a lot of things. Uh, (laughs) It's a good heel turn anyway. Yeah, and I like that that he becomes The Rock in that promo as well. Literally, that's when he refers to himself as The Rock. Yeah. That's when he changes to The Rock. Like, and you can tell, because I watched that promo, it's in the documentary, and that is, like, you can see The Rock's character straight away there. Heel Rock is not obviously entirely there, but the basics of it are yeah, already straight yeah. away. He's got the voice, he's got the look, like... Everything else after that is him kind of just kind of filling in the blanks fine a Fine-tuning it, yeah. yeah. He's got the basics of it straight away, though, like... Because the, the crux of that character doesn't change, pretty no. much. I mean, I don't say ever, because... I do feel, you know, we've we've come across The Rock overdoing it a number of times. But in terms of that heel rock persona, yeah, absolutely. So he's got the persona down pat, but obviously, like, they include little bits of his promos here where it's like, check out how cool The Rock is. And these early ones just aren't so great. So he's been put in the Intercontinental title picture with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They've got a big feud going on oh, now. Oh, what a feud. And he's cutting a promo on Austin and it says... One of Steve's trademark lines was, that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. So as the go-home line to my promo, I said, and if you do accept my challenge, then your bottom line will say, Stone Cold has been compliments of The Rock, 
Boo. Which I know I'm nitpicking, but that's that's such not a, nitpicking. That's, that's like crap. a 2013 Jerry Lawler. Maybe next week you won't be here. Kind of diss. <laughs> what? Like, just leave it out of the book, Rock. Like next chapter. The People's Champion. Hang on a second. Before you get to the next chapter, isn't there a part I remember from the book where he goes, you see, The Rock was Dwayne Johnson with the volume turned. Different font. Way up. (laughs) I don't remember any... Oh, you're right! Yes! There it is! Yes! Literally, there's... Because my first note for this new chapter is... The Rock's font has now arrived. The Rock's font. But you, fucking childhood Kevin with the more perceptive eye than me currently. Yeah, there it is. It actually transitioned at the end of the last chapter. This is like a real big moment for me because I live with a real font head, Joe from How to Wrestling. Of course. Uh, yeah. She loves typography. She's, student of design. She's a student of the game of, of design and fonts and she knows it and she knows all the fonts and, mm. and I know none of the fonts. Even fonts I use, I don't know or I can't describe them. That may be the first time I've correctly... I, well, it's not really like, oh, I've named the fight. It's just that I know there is, it looks different. And I remember that. So You've done a proud. I've done a good one, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, yeah, very well spotted. That is that way up there. Whee-oo! That's the moment the rock symbiote has like attached itself <laughs> to Dwayne Johnson. Like, and Stone Cold stood at the bottom of the church tower looking up like, oh, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fixing to think he's the rock. <laughs> so the rock's font is here, and now he's talking in the third person. He's what formally... is this whole chapter? Whoa! Mm-hmm. He's just he's a, this is a chapter of a rock promo. Oh well, this is the majority of the book now, Kevin. It's... That must be exhausting. The the majority of the rest of the book is rock font, third person recaps of feuds like him going over so the next chunk here is him going over his feud with Austin it takes us from the Rumble 98 all the way up to Wrestlemania 14 so So, Mr. Layden here then Mm because this is the bit I want to know because I was as a kid in my mind this is why I was a total rock mark I was like oh I bet The Rock wrote these bits Mm -hmm. and Joe Layden wrote the boring sports bits Mm -hmm. do you think that's The Rock's penmanship there? I would be inclined to say that these it's hard to tell because it is written like The Rock would say it. You know, it's a good forgery. I don't I don't trust Joe Lane to be like such a fucking rockhead though. Such a rock fan. That he no. can write a whole chapter of a rock promo. I feel like The Rock had to be more involved with this than any other part of the book, surely. I don't know. I really don't know because I think this is probably the easiest part to forge. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't know Dwayne's life story. I don't know how he talks about his life story. But if I sat down for like three months, however long I'm going to spend writing this book, and I had a shitload of VHSs of like The Rock's Rock promos, career yeah, and his yeah. promos, I could easily recap his career in his cadence. Plus, you have the, the benefit of that font, which really just transports you. <laughs> kind of. It takes you there. It's just like, whoa. It's like, you know, when you're reading a, a Comic Sans, and already I'm laughing even just. <laughs> I'm laughing even describing this, this guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is a funny font. Uh, it's like a comic book, like a kid would read. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I get where they're going on here. You know? I, I honestly think that The Rock probably had input. He probably had things to add to this section of the book. But I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Layden wrote the bulk of all these bits. Because I, I don't see why you would need The Rock to write these bits. It's so easy to fake a Rock promo, yeah. you know? Like, if you just... 
do your research. And he is a writer. As much as we've bitched about him, I'm sure he did do research. I'm sure he sat down and watched a lot of footage. I think it's probably a lot easier to write in this style, which will cover the fact that you have to present... Because, you know, no one knows, not even Dwayne Johnson knows what he thinks about growing up and all that. That's why it's just a listing of events, <laughs> yeah. not experiences of how he felt and what actually happened. It's quite easy just to masquerade as, like, that's oh, a fun rock promo. Wait, we all know what The Rock says. Exactly, yeah. The Rock says. That's what The Rock says. An entertaining read it does not make. Though. Oh, dear. Yeah. I loved this bit as a kid. And it's oh, actually yeah, a lot more of the book than I remember. It's a solid no, third. You're right. As a kid, because like I said last time, as a kid... I would just skim through these parts of the book because it's the bits I knew and it's the bits I could visualise. And it was like, I didn't have these shows on VHS, but I could read about them and imagine I'm watching them. Like... I remember a friend of mine, a kid, who got Mick Foley's book. And like, because like, he had gotten this as well. And he's like, oh, I just skipped to the bit with the rocks. You know, we talked about the rock. Like, and he, as a rock, oh, okay, get that, yeah. And then like, with Mick Foley's book, he's like, oh, I just skipped to like, you know, 1998 from, you know, when I started watching when he was like mankind and cool. Yeah. And it's like, that's like literally like an eighth, <laughs> a ninth of the book. Yeah, but it's the best bit, man. It, it's actually the worst bit. Because <laughs> it's the bit you already know, yeah. like, you know. Exactly. And that's why this is so annoying that this is most of the book because this is all shit we already know. And rather than it being like, it was great working this program with Stone Cold because The Rock and Steve formed this bond. You know, It's all kayfabe, this bit, right? It's all kayfabe, and it's all going through it. And then it's not like, I'm going to cover it as The Rock and then do a chapter on what this feud was like and then go back and then tell you what it was actually like as Dwayne. Because, yeah, that's what Foley would do. He would, he would include... I remember at the time, I was like, oh, this is a bit lazy. He just included, like, an entire promo here. And then, like, he's talked about it. But there's a few things about that. Like, number one... I first saw the Kane Dewey promo written down in mm. Foley's book. I remember reading that and getting chills, like, Jesus, because I could imagine him saying it. And then the way he describes how the, his thought process about it at the time, what he was going through, what went into that promo, what it took out of him. And I was like, whoa. So Foley was always quite good at doing that. And like, yeah. like, here is the kayfabe bit, and now I'm going to explain to you kind of the behind-the-scenes bits that you want to know. And that's far more interesting. Yeah. In this, it's just, I'm going to recap three months in The Rock's character, and then maybe we'll catch up with Dwayne again in a bit. But we're not going back, so forget about this feud. Strap yourselves in. But that's actually a good point. I would love a book where it's wrestlers talking about their own promos. A bit like, you know, Stuart Lee's book, where he actually annotates his his, stand-up and explains things. Because Austin often does that. I don't know if you've seen him commentating on his old matches yeah, and yeah. explain like the logic behind stuff. I would love to see more stuff like that where wrestlers go through their promos and explain, and explain this like, is where yeah. the inspiration for this came from. Or the storylines and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, Jericho and Foley, I really think that's why they're two, they're the two best mm. at that because they do that. Yeah. They explain the promos. They explain... Why they, you know, where they took influences from. Whereas the Rocky is almost like he's quite protective of the fact that, hey, this is awesome and I, I'm really good at doing this and it's quite unique. I mean, I don't know, for instance, who the Rock's influences are. Nah. Like, he doesn't mention this book or ever, like, Rick, you know, who was the promo that the Rock would watch and be like, fuck yeah. I know he liked his dad's promos, he's mentioned that. 
But was he like a big Ric Flair fan, for instance? Was he like into Hogan's promos? Like, because he's great at it. Or is it just the case The Rock, you know, didn't watch that many and was just awesome and he's unique and what, there you go. What they always make out in the book and in the documentary is that The Rock's charisma and The Rock's promos came from his football days. And they always oh, make out like the Miami team. They were all Point. such boys and so charismatic. Like, yeah. it all came from there, baby. There's a nice big section here where he talks about the significance of the Brahma Bull and how tough a Brahma Bull is and how it just pisses on the competition and everything and I, I only like that is it a Brahma bull is like a bull that like has like a really bad bladder because like, <laughs> remember near us there used to be a dog that would run up and down the alley pissing and shitting everywhere oh. like, <sighs> oh, the Brahma dogs fucking marking its territory because it's terrified but I only like that because he's covered that fucking tattoo up now and he just goes on about how important this tattoo is and how much it means to him yeah he is complete. he's kind of did it because when he has his new tattoo, it looked like it was kind of like an Animorphs type of thing. Yeah. Like the bull became like a demon. I loved this. One of our followers on Twitter put it absolutely perfectly where he shared the photo of The Rock's new cover-up tattoo and he put, and with that, the last shred of The Rock was gone. <laughs> there is only Dwayne left now. Which is so, like, that perfectly sums him it up. Is. Like, he is purely Dwayne now. Ugh. No longer is he The Rock. So... We've arrived at WrestleMania 14. I knew you'd, uh, you'd like this bit. So. Oh, that's beautiful. That's where we started our uh, Exactly, our, exactly. Our now, I remember in our first episode, we were very high on the whole angle with The Rock and Ken Shamrock. Yes. It was such a weird angle for WrestleMania. His promo with Jennifer Flowers was really funny. I bet you'd love to know what it was like for The Rock to work with Ken, wouldn't you? Please. No, you're not going to find out. This oh, what like the fuck? Written in The Rock's point of view, of course. I do but remember he said that Ken Shamrock's music sounded like it was Sesame Street. Sesame Street meets... Oh, fuck, what is it? It's not till King of the Ring, I think it's later. Yeah, it'll yeah, be later on. Right. Yeah, he makes fun of Ken's music, which is uncalled for. That is great fucking music. Yeah. Sesame Street. But I made sure that I put a big circle around this bit because I knew you'd enjoy it. The Rock receives an interview request from none other than Jennifer Flowers. The one and only. One time side dish of the people's president, William Jefferson Clinton. Essentially, Jennifer wants a piece of The Rock. She wants a big piece of The Rock. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. And you can't blame her one bit because after all, The Rock is the one who told Bill, Hey, listen, man, you can't be silly. You gotta cover your willy. Wow. The Rock using the word willy has really made my day. Now, I, lo- I, I, I don't know if it's the, the platform for me to say it, but the word willy I find really funny. Willy is one of the best terms you can use for a penis because it's so childish and <laughs> no one outside of England ever uses it. So when you hear it, it's like, oh, it's a joy. <laughs> willy. Like, yeah. Music to my ears. Like. The only other one that I, I find is like Mickey. Like <laughs> Willy and Mickey are very funny. And they're weird because like if I say them, I don't find it funny. Like usually with funny words, like I love saying funny words. Mm. But if I hear other people say the word Mickey or Willy, yeah. like, it's just really funny to me. And The Rock saying Willy. <laughs> <laughs> he told Bill Clinton you can't be silly you gotta cover your willy you gotta cover your willy Billy did you get Jennifer Flowers pregnant is that what happens all I know is that Jennifer Flowers was one of the interns along with Monica Lewinsky there was kind of I think because the Monica Lewinsky thing is where it all blew up there was a huge laser focus I think particularly over on this side of the world the Monica Lewinsky stuff, I remember in the 90s it being all in the news. Right. I don't know if it was before your time, if you remember about... Yeah, I've no memory of that whatsoever. I remember the very, you know, the 
Bill Clinton and I did not have sexual relations with that woman. All that fucking, that whole spiel. But Jennifer Flowers, either I was too young or it hadn't blown over here at that point yet. But she was, again, another woman that was involved with sexual uh, misconduct, let's say. That's with, with all Bill I Clinton. ever find out about her, though, is that she was involved. Like, I think even here he calls her a side dish of the president. Like. I think what it was was the fact that there was a stuff with her, but then, because with Monica Lewinsky, there was all the salacious details, like she'd given him like allegedly oral sex in the Oval yeah. Office and all this stuff. And I think she was a, a much a much bigger uh, star in the eyes of the tabloid gutter press that wanted to kind yeah. of... And I'm by no means excusing Bill Clinton's uh, behaviour, alleged or otherwise, you know. The guy's <laughs> done some fucking shady shit. So, yeah. Reston was obsessed with fucking Bill Clinton and all that stuff. That's interesting that you actually remember that at the time. Because my very first memory of any of the Bill Clinton scandal... And I was completely bewildered at first. But this used to happen all the time on LimeWire, that fucking dodgy piracy program. I would download, like, single MP3s, like Queens of the Stone Age songs and stuff illegally. And so many times you would download a, a dodgy file where you play it, and instead of it being the song you want, it's some shitty impersonator going, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> And I get all of my downloads from mp3freak.com or something like that. Some Mate, fucking dodgy ad. Yeah, like. there's a reason why LimeWire has hit the dust and mp3freak is still alive and kicking. Like. And for years, I had no idea what that was. And I'd hear the line, I did not have sexual relations. And I always thought, oh, they're referencing that fucking, <laughs> that dodgy old ad We've got LimeWire. some torrenters I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't until starting the Attitude Era podcast that I learned that it was Bill Clinton. Nah, that's not true. <laughs> so, straight after his WrestleMania match with Stone Cold, oh, and I will say, every time he loses, he always just brushes it off as like, and The Rock somehow got pinned one, two, three. That's That's what makes this not work, is the fact that The Rock can't reflect on loss really can he yeah no would it have been awkward well like when he when he we'll get there in a bit but when he taps out to ken at king of the ring it's like the unthinkable happened the rock tapped out but the rock was still intercontinental champion so who's the real winner here ken like it's it's weak and that's the kind of shit that makes me think maybe it was joe Layden that did all this bit yeah also as well this is like the height of like rock as the number one guy yeah. Austin's gone. This has come out. Rock is number one now and future number one babyface. And you've got him. I read this book, read at the time, going, oh, wow, The Rock's a bit of a dick. Because no, he... he's just a heel. All like He's he's really defending his heel actions. But you couldn't have The Rock go back and be like, oh, retrospectively, The Rock was a little out of line when he. Uh... <laughs> like Honky Tonk Man. Like, it was it was a different time. It was the attitude era. <laughs> People were more aggressive. <laughs> He used that, didn't he? He did. Like, sorry, yeah, for anyone not in the know, there was that famous Honky Tonk Man you shoot, the one where he, it goes really hard against Brett for having a stroke and having a go at Goldberg and everyone. Yeah, what's his name? Sean Oliver. He's sat there like he's at a fucking funeral for someone he's wronged. He's so awkward, like, oh, Jesus. And that was filmed in, like, 2006, 2007. Ago, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he did one years later where he's really smiling, he's got, like, a little bottle of Sprite and he's in a good mood. <laughs> And they say to him, like, last time we spoke, you were quite bitter. You had a lot to say. And he was like, well, you know, man, it, it was the Attitude Era. It was a different time. I, 
wow, you, people were more aggressive back then. Yeah, <laughs> like, it wasn't like... 2006, <laughs> a fucking five years after the fact. Like. And even if it was, you can't just be a dick. Seriously. it was the attitude era. Maybe like if like kind of Ezekiel Jackson goes off the rails and say, ah, you know, I was an ECW man, you know, it was kind of a bit crazy there in 2011. Like, you know. <laughs> we get more recaps and transcripts and just third-person rock talk, all the way up to the SummerSlam 98 ladder match. And again, no backstage insight, no sort of inkling of how he felt about these angles. Because that's like his first kind of real gimmick match, isn't it? When he did the yeah. ladder match with Triple H. I, I want to know what it was like for him working with Triple H, because in the documentary, and always, like even in Triple H's documentary, or in Austin's documentary, they always talk about their rivalries as being like, us two guys, we both wanted to be the top guy. Yeah. We pushed each other to our very best. <laughs> Rock was the top guy, and Triple H pushed me slightly up to my even better than best. <laughs> which is already pretty damn good. Yeah, like. not that I needed it. Like, I would have <laughs> got there anyway. Like, all this bullshit. But we've arrived at everyone's favourite juicy core of the book. Here we go. It's the colour photos. The colour photos are not in the middle this time. The colour photos are very much towards the latter. Two thirds in, yeah. yeah. That's not really how it's done, to be honest. That's where the appendices start after this then. So Let's quickly breeze through some of these. We've got The Rock, People's Champion. $500 shirt there. I love that blue background that they used to do back in the day. Oh yeah, that's how you know it's a fucking glossy photograph, mate. It's like they're stood on top of Stamford Towers, like, you know, blue sky in the background. Got baby rock with his mama. That's him that's six months old. There's mom and dad in traditional Samoan clothing. He is a fucking cute looking kid, I have to say. So, uh, Rocky Johnson, the fucking mark for himself, all the photos of himself on the wall. Like, Look at that. Rock with a nice big afro, shaking hands with classy Freddie Blassie himself. I like the rock's uh, got nice big buckles. Yeah, and it says in brackets, notice the rock's silk shirt. <laughs> Even from a young age, like... As tiny child Rock being carried by Andre the Giant. I like the, the idea that you know the Rock gave these pictures to Joe Layden with like inserts and notes, and he wrote on the back, "Just notice my shirt, please." There's <laughs> a really heelish Rock standing with his title over the bloodied mankind after the I Quit match, where he's just murdered him. Oh, hmm, look forward to getting there in the book, Kevin. Rock got home early that night. It was great. No commitments. Just mm. nice. and had a great lunch. <laughs> Get the Rock beating up Bret Hart. Rock, this one, this is interesting. He's got his hands raised with Shane McMahon in a referee's outfit yep. and Vince McMahon. This is the deadly game. This yes. is Rock, solid, disgusting heel turn. Before he gets beaten up by Stone Cold Steve Austin to send the crowd home happy. The Rock becomes the World Wrestling Federation champion. Nothing else to it. Wedding day, Rock. Rock and his mom in Hawaii on holiday together. He, where, nice. He's kind of dressed like the Rock in that picture as well. <laughs> Some generic shots of him in the ring, if you smell what The Rock is cooking, fighting Triple H on top of a ladder. These ones, these confuse the hell out of me as a kid. We've got two big massive photos of The Rock. Both of them he's got the smoky skull belt, like... Oh yeah! That's from, uh, like, around Backlash 99 time after he nicked that, the belt. That's exactly it, yeah. And I remember as a kid being upset by this because I was like, why would they put photos of him with Austin's belt? The he Brahma Snake. Had, he should have had the one with the Brahma ball that I would see advertised on the back of my action figures. <laughs> like, you could buy the kids' version of they it. Were gonna they were going to do that for him, yeah. You could buy the kids' version of it. I they, didn't know that. Yeah, but they never actually went through and made the... Uh, 
maybe it wasn't the kids version it might have been one of the adult replicas you see yeah. advertised in WWF magazine but you could buy it like I know that like even in the, the attitude era they were going to do it and they was like no that's not because she's going to devalue the belt which says a lot for restraint in them because they're like no let's not have this very marketable thing yeah you know I'm glad they didn't because they also I saw a design where it was the Undertaker's crucifix symbol on the belt it looked uh, fucking ghastly like and then finally we just get one of the rocks casual headshots like just him chilling out in, chilling out in Tampa on a Chef Boyardee commercial shoot oh rock you will be a Hollywood star one day yeah he really climbed the ranks didn't he from Chef Boyardee to Scorpion King we cut back after the SummerSlam ladder match Finally, Dwayne is back. We've, we've stopped with the rock font. Okay, so he's come back to, to, to life then. Dwayne has managed to pull the symbiote off his body. And he's back in control of the book again now, Okay, thankfully. okay. What I do like is that now he's back telling the story, he still refers to the rock as a different person almost. Example here. My needs are not extravagant. I spend a lot of my time in shorts, basketball shoes, t-shirts. I'm just a regular guy. But the rock likes his clothes. The Rock needs his $500 Versace shirts, his $300 shoes, his Rolex watch. So, you know, that's how you justify spending all your money on things. It's because The Rock needs it, not Dwayne. That is the most The Rock has reminded me of Ric Flair at any point in the book. Because Flair writes in his book about how he kind of could justify to himself the lifestyle that he led. For the character. It's the character. It's yeah. the nature boy. You know, what he want really is the Ted DiBiase gimmick where Vince would give him... You the, have this money just to live the gimmick. Yeah, like, you, you have the... He had a limo would take him around yeah. and stuff. And, like, Vince would say, like, here's, you know, five grand to go into a... You know, yeah, when you're at dinner tonight, Yeah, like, buy everyone dinner. Be like, extravagant. What a fucking great job Million Dollar Man had, yeah. by the way. Imagine that, like, you're a great wrestler who's got a great safe style... And then when you're in your off time, you get given a, a budget to go out and be rich in front of people. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. Yeah, seriously. Oh, man. he. I, I would read his book. I want to see about that. Like, Probably about Jesus. Oh. Because he would have told you at the time, Adam, that he was very wealthy, but he wasn't rich. Whereas nowadays, he's the richest man of them all. And he's doing well for himself as well. So. Really? Oh, good, good on him. Go on, Ted. Good on yourself. So we get, like, he talks a little bit about the highs and lows of now being rich and famous, but... Is he trying to put across, like, I'm a, like, I'm a regular guy, but I have to put up appearances for the sake of the character, yes. and that's not a bad thing? Yeah, well, well, I don't think he ever wants to make out that he's a regular guy, because obviously he is, you know, he's a kid that's got that X factor, yeah, and he's very, yeah. he knows it, but... He, like, he's trying to get across that he's still trying to be regular old Dwayne, but now people recognise him everywhere. And Damn. he has to sort of plan life a little bit differently. Like, you know, being famous isn't as easy as it looks, Kevin. I reckon it's pretty difficult. Well, a perfect example of how difficult it is is we get a, a nice, big, long breakdown of The Rock's typical day on the road. So oh, okay. So, he'd be quite interested to find out about this. travel on his own, I imagine, did he? Yes, that's right. So, 12 noon. Drive to Miami International Airport. He's already packed, worked out, had a farewell lunch with Danny. He loves lunch, doesn't he? He loves lunch and he loves Danny. That He can't put that over <laughs> enough. 1.30pm, flight leaves for Dallas. When you reach a certain level with the WWF, you get to fly first class, which is a nice perk. 4pm, arrive in Dallas. 6.30pm, arrive at the arena. 7.30pm, more fuel. So basically, he's always Eaten. chowing down. Not always pancakes, you know, he's not quite modern day rock. 8pm, match preparation. 
So time to discuss strategy with his opponent. Yeah, yeah. Now this is actual, we're getting what we should have been getting before, insight. So he's saying like, if it's someone with whom I've never worked, we have a lot to discuss. If it's someone with whom I have a long history, like Mankind or Steve Austin, the preparation isn't quite as intense. We know each other's moves and tendencies. Since the storyline has been set and the outcome is determined, it's usually just a matter of sitting down and discussing tweaks and changes that need to be made, and making sure that when the music hits, I'm ready to go out there and give the best performance I can. Like, I know that's not particularly insightful, but it's a damn sight more interesting than reading, and then The Rock laid the smack down again. And, and again. And, and again. again. It's, it, you know... This- of course, the problem with that is that you'd read that and think, oh, wrestling at Dallas's WWE City, like in the Scooby-Doo movie, like it's just this place where wrestling happens. <laughs> like, it's obviously going to be different every time. It's just an it? example. It was, it's not like in Journey into Darkness where, you know, you can see them in one city on TV and then go there two weeks later and they're still there. <laughs> like This bit's good. 8.30pm, suiting up. Nice bit of banter here. Oddly enough, I usually take a shower before I work. One of the guys, Kane, likes to tease me about that. God, Rock, you haven't learned the system yet, he'll say. You're supposed to shower after your match. And then I'll jokingly reply, well, you know why I do this? Why? Because I'm the Rock. <laughs> that joke, you're like, fuck you, Kane. <laughs> Mind your own goddamn business. <laughs> Great joke there, mate. That's, a little bit of banter, that's though. The, the quick wit of The Rock. Yeah, when you hear that the Kane's like a real intellectual backstage and kind of, you know, how he kind of bonds with similar intellectual people, you kind of, you see that you've got that there, like, you, you can know. see Kane's brains on display there. Yeah, there is a system. You shower after the match. Rock. Have a Kane. I've got this book about showering. You should read it. Haha, <laughs> fuck off, Kane. I'm The Rock. So then he gets suited up, a bit of baby oil to give himself a nice shine. 9pm, get him pumped. The exact time of my match varies from night to night, from show to show. In the minutes leading up to my entrance, however, the routine is always the same. One of the last items on the checklist is a series of push-ups just to get the blood pumping and the adrenaline flowing and to give the muscles a little bit of rip. Then I say a little prayer, thanking the good Lord for all the blessings he's given me in my life. Thanks, big guy. 9.15pm, showtime. So, goes out, you smell what the rock's cooking, has a match, people's eyebrows. 9.30, lay in the smack there. <laughs> 9.45pm, analysis. Ooh, this I like. After the match, my adrenaline is still pumping. I'm sweating profusely and I'm completely geeked. When I... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes. He was geeked about the XFL, wasn't he? <laughs> was he? Yeah, everybody says The Rock is absolutely jacked and whizzed and geeked. <laughs> the Rock thinks the XFL is going to be totally wizard. <laughs> it's going to be keen as hell. When I start to calm down, the first thing I do is get together with Jack Lanza, one of our agents, and talk about the match. Jack has helped me tremendously in my career. As I was coming up through the ranks, regardless of whether I was main event or not, Jack was always there for me every night after every match, eager to sit down and go over everything in detail. I have complete faith in Jack's opinion and judgement. He's a no-bullshit kind of guy, always <laughs> tells it like it is, and that's a quality I greatly respect and appreciate. I want people to go out of their way to try and find Jack Lanza's rambling Hall of Fame speech. I forget at this moment who he was inducting. It, it wasn't Bobby Heenan. Jeez, I think it may have been Bobby Heenan even. But it was one of the worst... Fi- like, it was literally an induction and he, like, stands up and he's like, what does this man do when he comes out? He tells he, a story with No, he doesn't. He paints a picture. <laughs> and he gets oil paints and he puts it in... No, that's not how he does it. He does it like this. He gets the blue, listen, blue paint right here. And it's this incoherent map. I think it was actually edited off 
the eventual oh, DVD no. release. Someone please find that for me. But Blackjack Lanza was someone who I'd only ever heard like great mind for the business, came up through the old territories, AWA, all that stuff. Vince's right hand guy knows the style, knows the business. And then like he did that speech and he got fired like a year later. It's like, who's this fucking mad, <laughs> weird old man with a mo- <laughs> Who's he? Like, get him out. <laughs> 10.30pm, departure. So after he chats with Jack, he gets showered, dressed, and basically leaves. He said he's always the last guy out of the arena at night. So, I doubt that's true. I'm impressed, though, that he meant to say he does it. Like, I heard that about The Rock before, that he was, like... Like, he was a total nerd. Like, he wasn't, like, uh... You know, Brett was, was someone who'd leave straight away. It's like, I don't, you know, just need to chat with anyone because he knows. Mm. You know, he'll chat with someone whoever he's riding with. But I think I always liked that about The Rock, the fact that... It was almost like a knowingness that he hadn't been doing this for a while. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I, I'm being overly cynical about that, then. Maybe he, he did stay behind late. Like. I, 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 I had heard that he was someone who was into, like... And maybe not to say last guy leaving, but, like, to, to feedback about his match and stuff like that. And, like, I always... If I hear a wrestler does that, like, I think that's awesome. Because, like, you know, DDP used to do that with every single one of his matches. And, like, mm. Foley would do that with his matches. And Austin would as well, where they would go over afterwards and kind of, you know, make sure, you know... They don't take anything for granted about about their matches. Always know. learning. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh no, well that's that's fair enough, and I do admire that. Like, and to be fair, actually, now you've said that, it is a good point. Like, he always does take it seriously in the book. He never is dismissive about wrestling itself yeah. or about his skill level. Mm. He does always speak very highly about like how seriously he takes the wrestling itself yeah, yeah, and improving. Yeah. So, oh yeah, fair enough, I guess. I think just reading this long book has made me so jaded and cynical. Like, I assume everything he says is a lie. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. After covering what we've had to cover with The Rock, it's pretty, you know, forgivable to assume that. Like, yeah, yeah. Thanks for reining me in. You get a nice little uh, name drop of Jim Dotson here. Apparently he always makes sure that The Rock gets safely to his uh, car after the show. I like, wouldn't want anyone else take me to my car other than Jim Dotson. 11pm, still more fuel, so he's basically going out for another meal again now while Jeez, he's on the road. Jeez, you're going to have a night shit rock. You're going to be really fucking pushing it here now. 12.30am, still more fuel, brackets, different kind. I've got to stop to fill up the car with some petrol, baby. Oh, they've been cocaine. Like. <laughs> 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 the rock needs his medicine. <laughs> so yeah, he'll fuel up before he goes to bed because he's going to have to get up early and drive to the airport. 1am, tube and talk. When I go back to my hotel room, I give Danny a call and we chat about our day. I turn on the TV, kick back and relax. I usually go through about a gallon of bottled water before I sleep just to make sure I don't get dehydrated. Night pisses, Rock, come on! Around 3am, I doze off. 6am is when he wakes up. (sighs) Now, I'm someone that doesn't really enjoy having long sleeps. I like to keep it concise. If I can have a six hours, that's bang on for me. That's exactly what I need. It's Mm. just six hours. Three hours sleep when you're a wrestler rock. You get used to it though, that's the thing. But that, like I look hard. back at like times I used to get up and I'm like, how did I do that? Like I, when I delivered mail, I had to get up at half two in the morning. It's not about how did you do that, because I know what it's like when you have to get up early yeah. and you can do it. It's just that doing it every day long term has gotta be really bad for you. Like Yeah, I mean that's one of the things about like I don't know if you saw the new ride along that's up. No. Uh, there was one of the cases like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And, like, the other day, like, it's popped on the network, and Joe's like, oh, my God, Sammy and Kevin, because, like, Kevin had done one with Chris Jericho, and it was, like, super fucking yeah, entertaining. Yeah. Like, let's put it on. And the whole time, the two of them are so fucking 
tired. Oh. Like they're both yawning, and like Kevin Owens is behind the wheel. He literally looks like he's about to fall asleep at the oh, wheel. Oh Jesus! And at the end, they just arrive and like we're really tired. Guess that's a bad ending. Just walk off like right it's, along. Right along. Uh. It's a road that never ends. Uh. So yeah, three hours sleep is all he gets. But six a.m. What does it say, Kevin? Wake up call. That's your wake up call. <laughs> so that, genuinely, that little two pages there has been one of the most insightful parts of the book so far. It'd be funny if every time he woke up in the morning, like he's like, uh, coughing with his body in there. Like, right <laughs> that's my, and he wakes up, that's my wake up call. Like, you know, if you don't wake up, that'll be you. That'll be you right there. You son of a bitch. You're going to be dead like a fucking pig in this coffin right here. Yeah. Wake up! Because that episode never gets any love. I always have it in my head that maybe there's just not really a lot going on in it. But that fucking The Rock in a suit, fucking sweating his ass off at a funeral for a man that sat in front of him. That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen The Rock do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever about our analysis of it, on its own, Wake Up Call Yeah, is... if you don't like the podcast, just fucking watch Wake Up Please. Call, then. It's funny. <laughs> like... like, the fact that he basically got away with releasing the weirdest fucking reality show Ever. Yeah. It's so weird. And the fact that his brand seems to be stronger in spite of us. Yeah. Watch Wake Up Call, For people. For fuck's sake. Oh, he dedicates a whole section then of complaining about BS politics in the business. He doesn't name any names. Really? But he goes out of his way to talk about how annoying it is when he sees other talent refusing to put other people over. Wow, God, who could he be talking about? But then he does spend a good while praising the opposite end of the spectrum, and he puts over specifically Bret Hart, Stone Cold, and Undertaker as three guys that he's always known that are willing to do business and willing to cooperate. Oh, because the only name that would have struck in my mind would have been, like... Austin for turning down Jarrett? Like... Yeah, I mean, they've been... Yeah, but he specifically mentioned Austin as somebody who's not that. Exactly. It's not going to be Foley. It's not going to be Kane. Or he could just be talking about stuff that he noticed Mark after the Merrill. fact. or Mark Merrill. Really? I bet you know, it's the, the people who are on like high salaries who are mid-cards. So, so maybe like Mark Merrill, Jeff Jarrett. I don't know, but I don't see Jeff turning down. Maybe this is all just stuff that he picked up from other guys Vader? in the locker room. Like People could just be talking to him about like how yeah. you get bullshit in the business like this. Mm. And he just put it in the book. Like I can't think of who that would have been. At the time. And you say Vader, but Jesus Christ, Vader was willing to go out and call himself a big fat piece of shit on TV. I mean, I, I can't imagine him being too stubborn. Like. People saying they don't want to do jobs doesn't necessarily mean that they were successful in their protests. <laughs> <laughs> you Fair know? Enough. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure Mark Merrill's like, yeah, you hit the pin me tonight, Christian. It'll be great for the business. Like, no. Sable, you make sure you get the one, two, three. I'm like, yeah, cool, awesome. Let's go do it. So that was really interesting. We got finally yeah. a nice bit of insight, and it's back to the Rock again. He's taken over with his scary font to recap more of the Rock's feuds. You're still with me. The Rock says that's good. That's dull. It's really fucking dull. And wow, there's big ass writing all over. Like the the oh, yeah. embellishments on these pages. There's more now than there was then. Again, it's. I think with the Rock's presence and the Rock symbiote taking over, it's like. So it's literally just the, the header of that just says, Do you smell what the Rock is cooking? Well, it's massive. I think the presence of the Rock has now destabilized the book and it's like <laughs> get, getting a bit out of control. That's the why. The pages got, are all different sizes. Yeah, it's getting all mad with the layout and all the Whoa. shit covering it up. So, yeah, again, we're storming through so much time here. This is just taking up most of 1998 with uninsightful recaps of him going through. It's just him cutting promos about the feuds in the way you'd expect. The Rock wins because The Rock's great. The Rock loses, it's because of a candy-ass stipulation. Yep. 
he runs down the feud, he runs down the basics of the match. Does he call... Like, does he talk about mankind and Cain or anything like that? Because I'm wondering if he uses the or word in this book. Uh, well, no, actually, it's funny you should mention that. It's on this exact page here, he goes. Um, when he talks about mankind, he says, actually, it's not really accurate to call mankind a person. If you stare at mankind for more than a few seconds, you realise it looks as though a big gorilla ran down the ramp, jumped into the middle of the ring, squatted, took a shit, and outplopped mankind. <laughs> wow. So... It's. I don't think he uses the R word, but like that's that's all he'll say about Mick Foley. You don't really hear like mm. the Rock and Mick Foley are really good mates, and you know they've got this amazing chemistry. Yeah, I mean they. So I mean they had over. amazing chemistry, but I don't think they were ever mates. Well, sorry, yeah, Rock and Mick Foley were mates on screen. I guess that was me jumping the gun a bit. But this part in particular, because most of this is banal and you're not really much to glean from it, but this part in particular I think you'll be interested in. This is the uh, Survivor Series heel turn. Oh, baby! Okay. The Rock now has both of Mankind's legs hooked over and hideously twisted. He rocks backwards in a dazzling display of power and ingenuity. So it's a sharpshooter, I'm assuming. (laughs) Ingenuity? Come up with these fucking idiots. And now The Rock, along with the first ten rows of the arena, can hear Mankind begin to cry. From deep in Mankind's throat comes a pathetic, shrill whine. And finally, the sound of submission. As Mankind says, Owie, 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 I quit. I give up. In fairness, it's wee, 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 I give up. It's like, wee! Yeah, he wants it well, not, not even. That's the I quit match at Royal Rumble, isn't it? Oh. This is Survivor Series. Well, I guess the way he's trying to do here, and I, I know it's what Layden has done here, it's a little bit deep, is that he's he's actually taken it because you would have to have already seen the match and know it's a screw job. The fact that they're doing the Montreal screw job, but The Rock is just like, no selling any yeah, sort that's of That's exactly screwiness. what it is. He's no selling the fact that it was a screw job, and he's literally recapping it as The Rock made mankind scream yeah. and cry and tap out. Like. I love the idea that 2000 Rock like will still be like, oh yeah, no, he did. <laughs> he did though. Like, I mean, he did. hey Mick, remember that time you tapped out at Survivor Series? Yeah, I love that about like he doesn't. That's one of the funny thing about The Rock, and I guess the, diff- the difficulty we, we touched on it before is the fact that there is no way for that character to show regret, humility, any of those things. Mm -hmm. It's always awkward. It's like literally the typical like toxic masculinity, like the the big tough buff male dude who can't be like, I'm sorry, or that was wrong. You know, it's... I don't need to explain myself. Yeah, or I literally like, I want to, but I physically can't. My character doesn't allow me to. (laughs) Like the one time The Rock showed any like kind of... Apology was because he's like, actually, I read your book, and he didn't yeah. do it like, I'm sorry. It was like you just quoted the book and was all cool about it. Yeah, like the Rock can't be like, the Rock is sorry. Yeah, you know that it, it literally can. That's just the way the character is set up. Which <laughs> yeah. is why it's hard to do a book where his characters change so well, that's much. It. This would have been so much more interesting if the Rock was talking again as Dwayne. And saying, like, well, at this point in time, I was getting really popular, but what we decided to do was do a swerve and turn heel by having me join the corporation. And, like, that would at least explain things. Or he could at least be, like, kind of, you know, he could do it in character. Like, The Rock was blowing up at the time and... I, you know, I got a ticket to the top from Vince McMahon and The Rock knew that it was only a matter of time anyway and, you know, what, you know, of course, the Rock, he could have framed it in a way at least where he's like, he acknowledges the fact that he's, he took a shortcut, like. Well, he says, right, so he basically says that Mick tapped out of Survivor Series, but then the real fun begins. <laughs> because Vince and Shane get in the ring and all the crowd are expecting him to lay the smack down on both of them, but they're all united together. 
And it goes, they can't believe their eyes. How could the people's champion be aligned with the man who hates the people? How could the people's champion become the corporate champion? It makes no sense. <laughs> that's it. Like, Doesn't say like like you said. The Rock had a ticket to the top. Like anything would have. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And then from then on, it's like oh, and then Austin wants a piece of the Rock. He wants a piece of the corporate champion. So and he's just like I am the corporate champion now. There's no yeah. explanation. No explanation why. is why he turned heel. It's just that happened. So even the in character changes, we can't like even that. It's just series of events. It's not going to have yeah. like, an experience attached to it. The Rock's over here now, like. Then <laughs> <laughs> the Rock was champion. Then he wasn't. Then the Rock was champion again. So this goes on uninterrupted for twenty five pages. It's like no, no, like fucking punctuation. Just like one long, and then the rock, and then the rock, and then the and rock. Then the rock laid the smackdown, and then the rock laid the smackdown. So he's just talking about basically the feud with Austin, corporate champ, corporation. Yep. This is him finishing off '98, and it takes all this time to do it. The one match throughout all of this that I've been dying to hear him try and cover is the I Quit match because I thought that he's going to have to go into a bit more detail on this. But I know The Rock, it was not. It was known at this point in time that Foley was not happy with The Rock mm. about Rumble 99. And sorry, is there any point does he like kind of reference like the corporation, Vince McMahon, him getting the advantage? Is he kind of like in on that at all or is it just kind of, yeah, it, it happened kind of? Yeah, there's a bit of a mention here. This alliance with Team Corporate means nothing to The Rock. It's just a tool, a weapon in The Rock's growing arsenal. By hooking up with Shane and Vince McMahon, The Rock has set his master plan in motion. They got him so, a nice car at one point and he was really happy about it. Was that part of the plan? Yeah. This Lincoln Continental is just another tool in The Rock's arsenal. You see, that's bad, that is, because literally that is what you were saying about him explaining why he's with them. But it's because it's buried in all of this shit where it's just recaps and everything. I'd actually that's, forgotten that's that he not a, That's it. not a proper explanation, like... But no, no, that's pretty much it. He doesn't really go into, like, the screw job finishes. Anytime he yeah. wins in a dodgy manner, he just, he wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case in point, I quit 99 is this chapter, this little paragraph. Put a sock in it! It's this one paragraph here. And it literally, it's a very quick I quit, uh, I quit match. He scrambles Mankind's brains. And then... He literally did. Like. Mankind says, I quit. And Rock wins the belt. There's nothing about the chair nothing shots. Nothing about the handcuffs. Nothing about the chair shots. Nothing about Foley's wife and kid being in the crowd. How could a about... ghostwriter watch that match and not be like, the Rock went too far. <laughs> and I'm a piece of shit. We're on The Rock Says at long last. The titular chapter of the book. Here we go. This is how much I've forgotten about my experience of reading this book. He actually does talk about promo inspirations here, Kevin. Finally! So, thank God for that. He says he was inspired by people such as Ric Flair, okay. Don Morocco, and Jimmy Snooker. Okay. Jesus. Was he? Yeah. Well, he... The Snooker promos? I was about to make a joke about stranglings, but like... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he learned everything from him, like... <laughs> Oh, and then we get a little bit of him going into detail about how he writes his promos and how he comes up with his promos. I recall something about like he, he, he like he'll write st- like he'll just randomly get inspired by something funny and he'll like write it on a cocktail napkin. And Danny's like promo, and the Rock's like you know it. It's literally it, yeah. He'll like have an idea, and no matter what he's doing with Danny or whoever, he'll have to just stop and write something down. And then, you know, it'll sort of brew in his mind and it'll simmer for a while until it becomes a promo. When I was doing stand-up on the reg, I would, like, if I got half a notion in my head about something that I thought was funny, I'd write it down. Mm. And it 
it ended up being a nightmare for me because I'd have this book that was full of all these random non sequitur half mm. ideas that I didn't know what the context was at the time because I'd be watching something ah oh, that's funny and you know I, I thought something funny about that and I'd write down a random word and like what the like there's a big piece of my uh, my moleskin upstairs that just says poo with a bone in it Ugh. Like that, I don't know where I was going with that, oh. but I think I may have said at one point in Cinema Swirl. You did. I, I you, de- a, you definitely did. There we go. That's yeah. where it, it actually it all comes out in the end. I remember when we first started hanging out. I had to look through one of your stand-up books, and it was just <laughs> fucking worrying. You know, you know, at the end of American Psycho, when his secretary finds his diary, and it's all full of scary. Oh stuff. Jesus! Did I ever tell you the time I went to Cambridge to do stand-up, and I left my uh, stand-up oh, yeah, book in Newark? Did. Yeah. And I was like, I was coming back. I was like, Oh my god, my stand-up book has been left left in Newark Northgate on the fucking platform and I like I rushed the next day I got like the first train over I was like was there a book left here and the guy's like oh yeah like <laughs> my secrets <laughs> like, weird a- drawings of dinosaurs and scary jokes <laughs> like, it's not as if there's like any admission it's, just, it's really weird like someone would read that and go this fucker's a weirdo <laughs> yeah you want the guy at Newark Northgate lost and found to judge you man like that's perfectly normal didn't want that man uh, this is a great excerpt here about The Rock's process. Okay. I, I love the way he puts this. So obviously, this isn't his first barbecue. What can I do to make this promo compelling? What can The Rock do to make it entertaining? I can poke fun at his physical characteristics. Oh, you better believe The Rock's gonna do that. Example, it looks like a monkey took a crap and out came mankind. Hey, you already used that! Which is, of course, the most common approach. Or I can try and get really creative and incorporate current events and popular culture. I just love- It looks like Bill Clinton came out here and took a big crap. Exactly, yeah. I love him talking about the most Rudy Poo juvenile promos in this really, like, sort of inside the actor's studio kind of way. Wow. Is that, so the way you were able to come up with that promo where you made fun of how he looked was you thought, what if I made fun of how he looked? Literally. I and could- the words just flowed. They just flow. So it's like either I poke fun at his physical characteristics or I go to current events. It's mm. a pretty good process you got there, Rock. I mean, pretty hey, tight. it worked. It fucking worked for him. It did. So we get more excerpts of promos here, more examples of how he'd be a heel, like, hey, this ain't sing along with the so Rock. So he uses heel and babyface like, expressions. Oh, no, not here. He said this way back right, yeah, in the yeah. book. Sorry, but he I'm... will use, like, kayfabe terms. Not, not not anymore. Now, okay. now this is mostly embroiled in kayfabe, pretty okay, much. Okay. He's talking about how quickly the fans catch on to his catchphrases and how great that is that things take off so quick. It's great selling merchandise. He's like, I'll say, you're going to get a double rock burger with cheese. And the next time we're on TV, there are 30 signs in the arena saying, I'll have a rock burger. Wow, yeah, that was one that really got off there. I'll have a rock burger and a side order of sweet cream on an ice cream sandwich. Do you want shut up juice with that as well, Kevin? You could have a whole fucking meal with the rock. Oh, I'm dying to talk about strudel, but I can't until our next episode that we record for a podcast. That's it, mate. You could have a rock-themed cafe, strudel pie sweet cream on an ice cream sandwich pancakes rock burger shut up juice blue hell it's not really a a full (laughs) menu is it i guess but still you could have a few things you could have one of those like like a a place that like it only serves five things but they're like really good pretty fucking solid yeah yeah don't know why you would do that but you could (laughs) uh wrestlemania is the next chapter we've arrived at and i had to check this several times just to make sure like i did side-by-side analysis a third font has entered the arena, Kevin. What? Now, 
30 fonts, one book. I'm struggling to understand the significance, because you were right before, the second font was definitely an intentional turn, because it, and it, well, it, it happened says, at the end of that chapter, and it changed. Yeah, and like, it says the volume turned way up. Now, yeah. it's a stretched out font. I always thought it was like, there was electricity flowing through the font, which just kind of made it like stand up. Like how static would make your, your, your the hairs in your arms stand up. So it was a mm. stretchy font. So what's this new font we're dealing with? This is a slightly more italicized font with serifs. Like, it's, I don't know, it kind of conveys like a sort of a dreaminess to it. And I, I thought these chapters were maybe happening in the rock's head. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, if you can leave the book when you're done, and when font expert uh, Joe Graham is back, mm. I'll have her throw some eyes on this and do a quick analysis. Run it through the lab, like, yeah. see what we come out with. See what we come back like. But genuinely, I'm not sure what it means, because, like, this is just him talking about WrestleMania and, like, getting to WrestleMania. Maybe it's, like, an anticipation font to, to build suspense, but it's, like, WrestleMania is a big deal. It's, like, the biggest match of my life. Just when I think I know about fonts, and then a new challenger appears, and I'm right back at square one, Daddy. <laughs> so he's talking about arriving at the hotel before WrestleMania, being mobbed by fans. This is as The Rock. He's not talking third person saying The Rock does this, The Rock does that. He's talking first person and he references Danny by name. So you would think this is Dwayne that's in control. What, what font is this? This is... Sorry, we, we're, we're talking about the third font here. The, oh, so this is all in third font? Yes, that we're talking about here. Just this bit here. But this is... I'm giving you the rundown of what he's going on about. So... I, I'm starting to be very confused by this. So we don't know what persona this is, this third man. This is what I'm trying to figure out with you now. So this is the third font. He's talking in the first person, not as The Rock did this. He's talking, I did this. I went there. Arrogant kind of throughout, would you say? Like, arrogant like The Rock? Or is he more kind of like this a Dwayne? Shades of, he's more like Dwayne. And he mentions people like Danny by name, which The Rock would never mention. Only Dwayne would mention Danny. Mm. So, like... I think maybe the thematic device here is that he is Dwayne still. But he's becoming... But in the anticipation yes. of being WrestleMania, he's like getting... He's arriving at the arena. That's yep. what's happening here. And he can like feel twitches of like... <clears throat> like the rock's and trying he's to... he's becoming <clears throat> the rock. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Like, and he's typing. He's like, look, I'm just trying to get this chapter. Oh no, the font is slightly changing. And the eyebrows like starting to tremble and climb higher and higher. You like, know, he's just going for that shut up juice. You know, he's had his double rock burgers. <laughs> You don't want to become the Rock, Wayne. Don't eat a double Rock burger and cheese. It sets you off every time. Every time. But before we can really get any more idea of what that is, we go back to the normal Dwayne font again. So this is definitely Dwayne steering the ship. That's kind of him like... Kind of... Subsides. Do you watch the Incredible Hulk cartoon series when they had him... Grey Hulk and Green Hulk would, would fight in his no. mind, see who took over. Like, so it's kind of feels like it's a bit like. I that, think like. that that's all I can guess is that the third font represents the struggle to keep Dwayne active and keep the Rock buried in the back of his mind. Uh, you're gonna be shitting electricity if you keep that in for any longer. You're like, oh, man. Jesus you know? Christ! <laughs> we'll come out at the worst time, mate. <laughs> uh, immediately following that, then we cut back to Dwayne's perspective, and he's talking about the build up to WrestleMania. He's got to go to some rage party with the company. Are you telling me that they're talking about the rage party? I'm talking about the rage party, like baby. Like, a year after the fact, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, people don't want to forget about the rage party, baby. So, rage. You okay, then? Yeah, I, I need to go for another I poop. I did a little, a little mini... <laughs> that was a really <laughs> little... <laughs> 
Uh, but this actually is, again, one of the very rare informative bits because he's talking about the, the rage party and everything that crazy and wacky that's going on there and like how we had to go and The Rock did a promo and these the guys Rock did a promo. The Rock says it was badly organised. But then he actually says the guys that were there were all having a pretty good time because it was pretty chill. Everyone was allowed to bring their partners and their wives and everything. And generally, everyone was just socialising and hanging out and kind of making the most of it being a party. I don't really think that The Rock, who was on a literal, like, platform above everyone else... Oh, I should in say... In a special zone. I don't doubt for a second that that's the case. I don't think he's talking about mingling with the rabble. I think he's saying that, like, while they were all partying down there, that the rest of the lads were probably just chilling out together. Because you notice there was only, like, two or three people went into the crowd at Rage Park. Oh, yeah, the Mean Street Posse. And apparently JR and Michael Cole went around signing autographs because they felt bad. Like, Aww. it was really... Because uh, I, I read a fan report about mm. being in there and like yeah if ever there's any sort of a fucking analogy for inequality all the stars up in this beautiful marble platform with their partners having a nice time and downstairs there's all these desolate fans scrambling over some free chef cold chef boyardee on paper plates Oh, that's really sad. It is. But I get the impression from him saying, like, that they all brought their partners and everyone had a fun, relaxed time, that there probably was just their own party going on adjacent yeah. to the Rage Party. The Rage Party party was awesome. Yeah. The Rage Party sucked. Again, just little shreds of info like that. More of that would have been appreciated. Yeah. Actually. He talks about how him and Austin booked their match together on WrestleMania Day. So this is... We're getting more stuff now, at least. Is he as The Rock or Dwayne? Or Dwayne here. This is still okay, Dwayne. still Dwayne. Yeah, still Dwayne. And he's talking about how the two of them are in the ring with Pat Patterson present. And like they start off with the finish of the match. And then work their way backwards from there. So they decide how they want to end things. And then how they're going to get to the ending from there. That's funny because you know that WrestleMania match. Giving it the benefit of multiple rewatches. And alongside all the other matches. Not good. It's it's. I think it's probably the weakest out of all. Because at least the stuff they did in, like, in early 98. Was really wacky. And you had like, you know, all the nation running in. Yeah. And Austin beating them all up. So... Yeah, I, I really think WrestleMania 14, Austin doesn't like it. No. So WrestleMania 15, Austin didn't like that one, and I don't like it. Does the, what's the Rock, does he reckon it's a great match? Does he talk about it highly? Well, to, to be honest, it's like we're getting near the end there. The, the, clearly, the WrestleMania is like the climax of yeah. the book, so it doesn't really matter what The Rock thinks yeah. of it. Like, it's got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting, the idea of coming up with a finish first and then working backwards from there I never would have thought of a, that being a genuine way of booking a match something I still think is like mostly unknown to the kind of regular fans like us which is like the, I remember like watching the wrestler and being like whoa because you know they have the scene where they're putting together the matches yeah, the and boom, stuff boom, like boom, that yeah. I know the phrase boom 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 means like everything in, yeah. if you don't have that you can't make, have a wrestler match give them the boom 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 make sure yeah. you sell the boom 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 afterwards are you like... going to say way out way out okay <laughs> so, you know, that's important but like, I still think there is a, a mystery to that and I think one of the reasons that is is because I think it's probably different for a lot of people how they do that mm. and it's all about who they gel well with like because yep. you know that like Arn Anderson is John Cena's guy oh like, really he's like it was Rock and Pat Patterson they were like a kind of a unit like yeah. Patterson was kind of the Rock's agent almost mm -hmm. he did all of his matches and similarly like Arn Anderson was like John Cena's guy oh. he knew how he wanted to come across Cena how the company wanted him to come across he knew how to put him, help him put a match together so it's always interesting those kind of pairings that exist mm. 
because I think a lot of that depends how the matches get put together. Like, I've never heard that before about someone you know, starting with the finish and going back from there. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I like it. They go over it again later on in more detail in the locker room. So basically, when they're in the ring, they come up with the skeleton of the match just by deciding like there and then. Fishbone. Uh, your basic fishbone skeleton. Austin didn't like any of that, like. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, when the two of them are backstage, they'll have, like, a proper chat about more detail, like, which parts they're going to emphasise, etc. And an amazing lunch. Rock puts over Austin as being a pro because he says that he was going through some sort of family crisis at the time. Yes. But he didn't let it affect the performance or them working together. All I know is that Austin was pretty much either divorcing or about to divorce because the reason why Austin showed up not wearing his vest and wearing his t-shirt oh yeah he had a huge fight didn't he he had a massive fight yeah. and then like he stormed off and he forgot his vest like of course oh, oh Jesus but I will say the way The Rock describes these backstage interactions you do genuinely get the feeling that The Rock and Austin are pretty good mates when they're working together it's a nice little excerpt here where they're like the synergy of The Rock and Austin coming up with ideas pretty soon the ideas were flowing we were talking faster and completing each other's sentences how about if you shoot you off the ropes? Yeah, great. And then you can hit me with your swinging neck breaker. Damn, that's exactly what I was thinking. And then we can try this. Before long, the adrenaline was pumping and we had a first class match. The excitement was building so much we were no longer just talking, but shouting, This is gonna be a motherfucker of a match! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then we do this. One, two, and Austin kicks out. Oh, these people are in for a treat. I love the idea of these two marking yeah. out backstage yeah. together. And I can totally see it. I totally buy that. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Because you, you, you'll be on the mat when The Rock is there with Foley. Mm. And they just have these massive... They're talking... They're talking about the fucking I Quit match. Yeah. They have massive smiles on their face. You know, they're talking about like the spots like, you know, The Rock's such a big piece of trash. He comes up, boom, you know. And Foley's like, yeah, I'll go off the top. It'll yeah. be yeah. They like that's that's the fucking the, the 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 goal. That's that's what you need in your top guy. Someone who gets excited about the prospect. That's what it of is. A kick-ass match. I think it's like these two guys both realizing, oh, we both want the same thing, and they're getting more and more excited yeah. working the match together. I just think that's fucking great. Like that's I lovely. Can never imagine. Brock Lesnar sitting down with Roman Reigns and be like, ah, yeah, and then we'll fucking, uh... oh man, these people are in for a motherfucker. No. Even though they can have a motherfucker of a match, I'm sure, but it's just, you know, people kind of view like people like Lesnar as being like, you know, oh, they're not really, yeah, they don't love this or doesn't really care. Like... Yeah, and I kind of, you can tell the people who are at their core a massive fucking wrestling nerd, and I yeah. love that Steve Austin and The Rock are like that. I imagine Dean Ambrose being the one that was like, yeah, and then I can hit you with the dirty deeds, and Brock's like, no, German suplex. Apparently, all of what Brock does is that he'll have Heyman like kind of just come up with a lot, of, like he, he, him, and Heyman will sit down and they'll talk about about it right like Heyman's he he booked you know the the Reigns Lesnar at Wrestlemania whatever it was 31 or whatever it was they, really good the really all yeah. with Seth Rollins cash yeah. in he put that all together apparently like that explains why that was so fucking good <laughs> yeah I mean I think like probably Paul understands Brock a bit better than Brock does <laughs> So they carry on chatting backstage. One of the things I like is that Austin tells The Rock he wouldn't be surprised if Bart Gunn just knocked out Butterbean. I I would be surprised, mate. Very surprised. Very, With the benefit very of hindsight, I would be absolutely shocked, to be honest. So he talks about building up to the match, and right before he goes out of that curtain. 
By this time, I was completely in character. Dwayne Johnson had melted away, and in his place was The Rock. And the font changes once again. Again! Signifying that, oh great, The Fucking Rock's back. We're going to get another Rock chapter. What a high-concept book this is. Oh man, we we aren't... I I think the reason I've been so flustered and struggling with it is because I'm not on the same literary level as this book. I can't... (laughs) grasp the thematic structure that the book's been going for. This must have been hard to hate read like you've been doing. I think maybe it's one of these books you really have to read twice so maybe maybe in a couple months we'll do another review. This is one of the few cases where I'm like, nah, something I did when I was 10 is sufficient in this case. (laughs) Nah, I got it. So, big old recap of the the WrestleMania match done, as usual, entirely through The Rock's eyes. Very glossy, very great match, very brilliant. Everyone was happy with it. And then thankfully, after the match, we do get a little bit more insight of them backstage together. So, so this is back to Dwayne now. Back to Dwayne. He's back in control. I think, like, after he's had, like, a big The Rock performance and he's done, like, this big main event match. The like, spirit of The Rock. The Rock is, like, spent and, yeah. like, sort of withers away again so Dwayne can come forward. Uh, so they have a hug after the match. JR comes in with um, tears in his eyes, saying Aww. that it was the best match he'd ever had the privilege to call. Well, um, now, here's the thing about that is don't mistake the emotion of Jim Ross coming back, you know? I will say Rock actually does clarify that okay. it was JR's first match back after his mother had you know, died. They, they, asked, they asked specifically because the office didn't want him to. And Austin Rock, they said, you have to have Jim Ross call. That's so fucking event. nice. Even though, because they were like, oh, you had Bell's palsy, you can't do it, like, you know. Uh, well, he can do a fucking heel promo and kick Michael Cole in the willy, but he can't come and do yeah, fucking WrestleMania legit, spot, legit. you know. So, yeah, apparently Russo and Vince were both against it. Wow. But they were insistent, and it, it, it needed it. The match needed it. Yeah, no, he, he does clarify that JR was obviously emotional anyway yeah, because yeah. of what he'd just been through. But he says it was the best match he's ever had the privilege to call. And everyone's just hanging out backstage. And apparently Mark Yeaton bursts in with a big cooler full of beers. And everyone's like, way! And they all just spend ages celebrating. Oh. It's genuinely heartwarming. Like. Are you know, WrestleMania's probably not like that anymore, is it? I really doubt it. Because, like, I, I watch the WWE 24 as they do about every WrestleMania every year. Mm. And it's it's so much more of, like, a, this big kind of corporate event, like... Yeah, like I remember Very well you done, see the like, little zone that they have, the little special office, which every year looks exactly the same, yeah. even though they're in different buildings. And it's like DDP has stood there in a tuxedo just tweeting, and beside him, like <laughs> Kevin Nash has just sat down tweeting, and like your know, Triple H is on headsets, and Road Dogs is there looking around, and Michael Hayes is wearing, I don't know, a fucking plant pot on his head or something fucking stupid. But it's just, and he ever, when Seth went to watch WrestleMania like mm. last year, he went to, like, the corporate box. Sat in a box, frowning. Like, On his own, like. It's not a party. You'd think there'd be yeah. all the lads backstage. And With their families. The ones that have just wrestled will all be sat back there watching it together or something. But you don't get that impression, like. No, it's coming. Like, good job in your match, Kevin. Now get into your special ice chamber. <laughs> right. Let's <laughs> omni-freeze all of these guys and put them in the crypto wagon and get us to the... Put them in the cryo wagon and get them onto Raw. Like, it just... It doesn't feel like it's a family atmosphere. Well, that's if, that's if you're lucky as well, getting a good job Kevin like yeah. you might be unlucky enough we're to get cool. no we are not cool <laughs> it's Wrestlemania and we're not cool Jesus, get in the van <laughs> such a fucking downer man <laughs> oh. next chapter we deal with so we've just obviously that's the big climax of the book now is we just had his big Wrestlemania match where he loses but yeah. it's like a crowning moment then we have a chapter dealing with Owen and to be honest, I was hoping this was going to be like more stories about Owen ribbing them and stuff It's a, it is very much a 
we reckon you should probably like I I understand it's one of those things you can have a mainstream publication come out like this with one of the top stars and not reference what was uh, it shocks me when I watch the Smackdown and Raw from around this time how quickly it was yeah owns dead horrible tragedy which makes us all look really fucking bad and off we go yeah let's not just, talk about it anymore you know because you feel like and I don't want to equate tragedies, but like I've, you know, we've obviously been reviewing all the stuff around 9/11, which is a very much a, oh Jesus, this is a big fucking tragedy, and you can tell, crowd, writers, wrestlers, everyone's just a bit, yeah, like what, you know, what the fuck are we doing, kind of, yeah. And I've saw ever after Eddie passed as well, there was very much in the Benoit thing, there was just like a feeling that this tragedy has affected the company and has taken us all down a peg, whereas it just even though I know it hit people harder than a lot of the other tragedies there have been wrestling. With Pillman as well, actually, it was like mm. that. They die, it's a big tragedy, makes the company look bad, and just, fuck, off we go. Like, Damn. This shows like how successful they were and how fast they were moving at the yeah. time. But I think, I was thinking about this a lot, and I don't know what he says in this, I don't recall what he says about it, but it is a tacked-on chapter, I think. It is tacked-on. But it's damned if you do and damned if you don't, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm not complaining about the inclusion of it at all. It's very blatantly like, oh, we better chuck this in at the end because we've got to say something nice about Owen. I get that. I'm totally fine with that. But I was hoping it would be an excuse for The Rock to go through some stories of his time yeah, with Owen. Yeah, because I'm sure Owen is... They're in the nation together. I'm sure he ripped the bejesus out of him. Legit. But what we mostly get is the chapter mostly deals with the night of Over the Edge itself, which I think is just a fucking horrible thing Don't, to focus yeah, on. That's not what we want to know about. And it's sad and it's moving and it feels genuine, but that's not. I don't want to read about the night. And, you know, he makes good points about, like, he has to weigh up the damned if you do and damned if you don't nature of carrying on with Over the Edge and the performers that carried on with the show and whether or not Owen would have wanted that. And he discusses it in a relatively mature way. But honestly, if you're going to do a chapter that's just called Owen and it's meant to be reflecting on someone that's meant to be your friend, I would rather have just read about your friendship than read about the night he died. Yeah, call it Over the Edge 99, if that's what the, the story's going to be about. It wasn't your door, was it? No, that's uh, it's it's rattling because there's a window open upstairs, it's realised. <sighs> okay. um, but yeah, call it Over the Edge 1999. Yeah. Don't call it Owen, because it's not about Owen, is it? It's about Owen's death more than anything. And the controversy of Owen. Yeah. It's not even about Owen's death, it's about the circumstances of the night of his death. I mean, don't get me wrong, he does still say nice things about Owen yeah. being one of the kindest people. And then that kind of stuff, and he does mention the ribbing and the fun-loving nature of Owen, but he puts far too much emphasis on the night itself. Do you think it was WWE's kind of way, I mean, very cynical here, I, I, I realise, but do you think it was kind of a, look, we know this book's going to sell like hotcakes... The Rock is our most marketable star. He's also probably the most like trustworthy. Comes off because I mean, no one was ever like you know when The Rock was a star, no one was kind of going after him like they were Austin, mm -hmm. where like he's a bad role model for kids. No one ever was like, oh, The Rock's a bad role model. People, yeah. The Rock had a kind of a more universal appeal than Steve Austin with a the mainstream. Yeah. Do you think they're kind of like this is going to be on the New York Times best-selling list? Let's pop a chapter in there or side of the story. I don't know. Oh, that is cynical, but yeah. I wouldn't be totally surprised. That seems more of a corporate nowadays WWE yeah. thing to do less than 99, but yeah. you, know, you know what they're like. I would not be surprised. Mm. But yeah, and he talks about how proud he was of the entire Raw is Owen show and how genuine that was and how emotional that night was for everyone, which is nice, but I just... 
if you're going to do a chapter about Owen, I think that's a bit bungled. I would. There's much, much nicer stories and more nice things to say about Owen. Uh, that, that's how the book ends, isn't it? The no, there's, there's, there's a little bit more here. So uh, it ends with the chapter, Gotta Wear Shades. A fucking random name for a chapter to end on. He talks about how Mania was going to be the first of a four-part series between him and Austin. Mm. But Rock's growing popularity made that kind of problematic because they right, could yeah. tell that he was going to turn babyface yeah, yeah. again. So they decided to cap it off at Backlash. I guess it did become a best of four series again because they, you know, they did Backlash and then they did uh, WrestleMania 17 and then yeah, WrestleMania I guess. 19. So. In, in long term view, yeah, that yeah, was a four part. It. But they were actually going to do it for four months consecutively. Which oh, like, God. Which I never knew. Like, Geez, Austin wouldn't have been able to do that. No, they would have had to change plans anyway. Because like, he was like, by summer, he was fucked. Yeah, that wasn't going to work anyway. He talks about how he specifically wanted his character handled and transitioning from heel to a face. He thought it was important to him to keep all of the characteristics of heel rock, but now doing it as a face. That's the way he's talking about that, because he'd already done that before Once, he turned to heel I know, in the yeah. heel turn that he completely no-sold in the book. <laughs> like, I guess it's because he wanted to save something to talk about the, at the uh, end. The Rock wanted uh, the same font, even if he was a baby facer. <laughs> I think it could be the whole sort of wrestling fans having short-term memory thing yeah. again. Because when the book came out, this would have been, like, about a year ago, recent face yeah, turn yeah, for The yeah. Rock. So I guess it makes more sense to focus mm. on that one. But yeah, it's good. I remember we talked about it on the podcast about how when he turned face, he didn't change at all. He was just the rock, but a good guy now. And he talks about how conscious of a decision that was and how he was very careful doing it. Talks about how he's only 27 and how successful he's been. And he's exploring new ventures, including movies. He reckons he can be the next Schwarzenegger, which, you know what? You're not far off. I like no, Not I don't Schwarzenegger know. specifically, but no. you've done fucking all right, mate. In like, the terms of making yourself to be like... The movie's not about the movie. The movie's about the star. About the star. He's pretty like no one else can reclaim that at the moment in Hollywood other than The Rock. Well, I mean, it's like it's it's a pretty, it, you know, it's a, a shitty, silly thing to put at the end of a biography where it's like, look out, Hollywood, here I come. But you, know, he fucking did it. Like, yeah, I never take that away from The Rock that he did it. He actually did do it. Like, he set out to do it, and he fucking did. And Don't like his films, no. but he did it. Like he's successful. He talks about how wrestling is on top of the world and really popular right and it's now. It's gonna stay that way forever, forever and ever. And the Rock ain't never gonna leave. You know, someone could look at it uh, again to use the old C word, but someone could look at it cynically and be like, "The Rock kind of timed this up nicely with when he saw." I mean, he, in two thousand one, when he came back after Scorpion King, he would have been, he must have seen the smaller houses, mm. the smaller pay per view numbers, the smaller checks he was getting, mm. and then just be like. Hollywood's better. It is. <laughs> yeah. It was for it was him. At that point, Money-wise, yeah. 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 He kind of wraps up towards the end here by addressing the concerns about WWF's content. A little saying, bit of that, yeah. I, I noticed. I remember that a bit because Foley and Foley is good. He like literally has a, like the last quarter of the book mm-hmm. is an essay called "In Defense of WWF." It's all this research that he did and stuff, and it's really fucking. I like. I like that the top stars felt like they had to defend the company like that. I think that. That's probably something that will ingratiate yourself with Vince McMahon more than jumping off a hell in a cell or a ladder and yeah. like that. Is people going to bat for the company like that. And I think their way. The Rock probably didn't do it a lot when he was out of the company, but when he was there, he was a fairly staunch defender of all things WWE. Well, and quite good at doing it. Don't get me wrong, it's not like Mick, where it's an essay. It's quite yeah. a short section. and Literally, verbatim says, no one gets raped, no one has sex, no one gets shot. 
No one gets their tongue ripped out of the throat. That's just me on the weekends. And it's just the usual, like, it's up to the parents kind of business. So it's it's good, but it is a very passing mention compared to Foley's. That's, that's very much the corporate line, I think. And then we end the book with a very shit, quick wrap-up written in the Rock's font again. Hey! Of him losing to Undertaker at King of the Ring 99. But he is still the most electrifying man in the world, etc., etc., the end. What an awful way to end that book, that Matt Stank. Why would you mention it? Why would you leave it on that note? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We've been recording for nearly two. <laughs> yeah, but I did do a poo in between that's that. True, like, that's so, true. you know, there is, there is that to bear in mind. Adam, final thoughts on The Rock says... Abysmal. Really dull. I mean... You could tell by how much I lost my way trying to recap it there. The second half of that book... You're lost, soul. You've lost your way. The second half of that book was really, really boring. It was just recaps and fucking transcripts. Did you have more fun reading this than Journey Into Darkness? Journey Into Darkness. Absolutely Journey Into Darkness. That was funny. It was silly. It was goofy. Even when it was boring, I felt like it was more fun to have a go at it for being boring than it was this book. This book was very, very plain very dull lots of events but no actual stories mm. like it was just very soulless like if you have read the rock says let us know your thoughts in the comments below if you got any like wrap up thoughts or anything you want to say or i've goes. said everything i want to say about the rock says i could ever I, possibly I'm want to say spent. the rock says the rock says know your damn Alright fans, welcome back here. Just a little bit of a postscript, a bit of a PS here on the old uh, Bibliotech on this book report. Uh, I am sitting opposite my better half and also the, the one person in the world who I really think understands fonts better than anyone else I know. Joe, um, a little bit of an analysis if you would please. Your professional design opinion on the fact that this book, The Rock Says, written by Dwayne The Rock Johnson with Joe Layden, the, the one and only, including new colour photos in the middle. That's right, I got the real good copy of this one <laughs> with the colour photos. No writing on this. That cost two pennies on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> it was available for Prime, you know it's good. <laughs> so, Joe, I've, I've kind of marked off here the, the few different areas of the font. There are three fonts in total. First, this is a regular font for, for Dwayne Johnson. What, what's that looking at like to you? What does that kind of say to you? So this is a pretty standard serif typeface. Looks like it probably is Times New Roman. Could be more of like a... No, it's, it's too tall for a Garamond. Okay, so that's just regular... I mean, would you say that's regular text you would see in a book? It's a kind of... Yeah, you'd see it in a book, maybe newspaper. You see it in print because it's got the little the little feet at the bottom. Oh, people like the little feet, do they? Little feet make it so easier to read on paper. So that's basically meant to be an e. That's point of that font is to make it easy to read and to be not in your face. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be... Easy to read. You're not supposed to notice it. It's like standard typeface for most publications. It's like default, traditional. Typeface. Okay. Well, as we all know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is anything but a man of tradition because he is also, of course, has his own dark passenger inside of him. I'm talking, of course, about the electrifying spirit that is known as The Rock. Uh, and as such, Joe, contrary to most mainstream publications autobiography otherwise we have this second font to indicate that he is no longer Dwayne Johnson but the most electrifying man in sports and entertainment the rock and so your your assumption here is that the 
difference in typeface implies a difference in what his personality yeah because literally there's a bit in the book where he starts off in that regular font that we right. just mentioned and then he goes but the rock was dwayne johnson with the volume turned new font, new font way okay. up so here's our new font so this one is a sans serif typeface it's condensed possibly fixed width i can't identify it myself but it's it's a modern sort of typeface. You wouldn't normally see this in print. You might see it on a website. It's not Why so easy to read. Why would you not normally see it in print? Because it's a serif typeface, so it's a bit harder to read, especially when it's condensed, so it's more stylistic or digital based. So are you saying that if I was to read that like in an unventilated room for like an hour, I might get a bit sick? Yeah, if you, if you the whole book was in this typeface, you'd find it hard to... <laughs> Just read, like, you can see just by looking at it, it's hard it to is. read. It is. Yeah, it and is. if you're dyslexic, doubly so. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So this is literally an inaccessible font. Yeah. The rock is like, ah, no, 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 no. None of you can uh, read this bit. This is just for, <laughs> for those of us who have no sort of dyslexia or any sort of difficulties reading or visually. So if I was going to try and make a guess about the transition of his character here... Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind, I know nothing about The Rock because we've not covered him on an episode yet. But I would guess that, okay, so he's writing as Dwayne The Rock Johnson with his standard serif typeface. Yeah. Transitions to sans serif. Yeah. More modern, condensed. So it's like a purer, more in your face, more modern. It's more little, electric? A little bit more bombastic, less traditional. Ah. Don't know about electric. Okay, because the last thing I have to ask you then, Joe, is because you're talking about transition and all that, but like we do have... In this case, and this is where we really fell apart at the wheel here trying to, to analyse this. Chapter 15, WrestleMania, WrestleMania. A rogue third font enters Whoa. the arena here where Dwayne Johnson's talking about preparations for the match and he's not quite one or the other. Where is this font coming from? It's the only place it appears in the book. You know, first impressions of this page you've handed me. Sorry, I'm not going to talk about the typeface just yet, <laughs> but there's actually four different typefaces on this page alone. <laughs> Because you've got the chapter written in a all lowercase sans serif typeface. You've got the number of that chapter in an entirely different typeface again. You've got the title of the chapter twice in two different weight fonts. Yeah. What the fuck's with that? And then he starts his main paragraph with the condensed bold fixed width i would call that a sort of a poster style typeface it's not the kind of thing you'd ever use in paragraph text it's it's headline yeah, title text i just thought the fact that we have what four fonts here on this page wait, wait i haven't even gotten to the other fonts because that's like the first three letters that's the first three words of his first paragraph sentence <laughs> so it's friday night he says and he's got in this weird bold typeface then he's got the date march 26th which is in standard times new roman serif typeface and then he goes on to this mysterious third which isn't a separate typeface it's that i think is the standard typeface he was using before the times new roman right italicized ah, i see which to me would imply that this isn't a third personality type it's not like he's got another the rock inside of him there's not like a dougie jones rock that's no, kind of floating around or here a bob or whatever <laughs> this is this is original dale cooper typeface <laughs> but 
kind of either thoughtfully so an internal monologue internal monologue or perhaps like um, an aspect of his personality okay which he often bring to the surface so maybe he's talking like to uh, you know Danny his uh, his manager on the, the the dictaphone here like you know this is kind of a monologue mm. to her perhaps God so we not only do we have the three fonts that me and Adam identified there's a whole other bevy of fonts here at the start of the chapters now me Adam and I guess the Rock and probably Joe Layden just thought this assumed it was good value for money we get in this many fonts yeah so, uh, fit them all in how would you rate this oh my god the cover <laughs> sorry hang on one two three four five typefaces on the cover that's bad design that's Joe, a really bad design so I was going to say I mean uh, if you're going to give it a mark out of ten design point wise how would The Rock says with Joe Layden and The Rock Includes new photos. I mean, I'd give it 10 because uh, I feel that really, like, demonstrates The Rock's personality. <laughs> it's clearly very intentional use of five different typefaces on the same page. I mean, people might think that's bad design, and yeah, sure, they would never teach you that at university. But, you know, I mean, this is obviously innovative design here. <laughs> Uh, whoever designed that cover is clearly a genius. Joe, thank you for your analysis. You're welcome. 